Welcome to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from May 23rd, 2002. From the high desert in the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Welcome back to whatever it is we do here in the nighttime. I'm Art Bell, and it's called Coast to Coast AM. And it is certainly not and much more heard all over the world, actually. We would like to welcome a new affiliate tonight, uh, KONP in Port Angeles, Washington. Now, there's an interesting name, Port Angeles, Washington. Uh, the uh, GMNPD there, Todd Odloff, thank you very much. Glad to have you on board, whatever it is here you've joined. Well, first of all, first things first, I would like to uh, tell you Ramona is much better. Uh, the combination of uh, theopolin pregnizone and uh, oxygen did the trick and uh, she just you know everything kicked in and she just <laughs> snapped back today still kind of weak but uh, absolutely over the crisis which was a humdinger so for everybody who sent uh, well wishes and everything she says big thank you great big thank you she's uh, much better much much better okay in the next hour we're going, to be, we're going to actually be doing something that I've been wanting to do for some time now. There was this incredible woman who wrote this many-page article on human, uh, spontaneous human invisibility named Donna Higby, and somebody forwarded what she had written to me, which was very extensive, on the web. Someone forwarded to uh, we, we did a whole show on it, and we couldn't find Donna Higby. Well, we found uh, Donna Higby, and uh, as far as I know, she is the only one that I'm aware of that's doing this kind of research, and she's doing a lot of it, and there's a lot to, this is a very, very, very interesting subject. So coming up uh, next hour, Donna Higby on spontaneous, involuntary, most times, uh, human invisibility. I'll, I'll tell kind of an interesting story about that, actually a couple. Well, let's see what's going on in the world. Well, I told you I smelled a rat on the Chandra Levy thing. Well, uh, today the police chief of Washington, D.C., said uh, aloud, well, uh, you know, why wasn't the body found uh, when we did all the extensive searching? And he said, uh, perhaps it wasn't there when we did the searching. Uh, so um, uh, that's certainly one possibility. Before I guess we go jumping to any conclusions, I, I just I, it just didn't strike me right last night. They they said it as though it was the only thing that could be here. It was. It's finally found. Uh, today, um, the people involved began to say, also apparently smell a rat. So the book stays open on the whole Chandra Levy thing. Listen to this. An FBI agent accused her Washington headquarters of erecting a roadblock, that's the word, 
to the pre-September 11th investigation of terrorism defendant Zacharias Masseri, immediately prompting an internal investigation. Get this. Agent, Co Agent Colleen Raleigh, R-O-W-L-E-Y, a, a lawyer in the Minnesota office that arrested uh, that terrorist last August, alleged terrorist, I guess, said in a letter that local agents became, listen to this, so frustrated with FBI headquarters that they broke from their chain of command and went to the CIA about that suspect before September 11th. The local agents were reprimanded for doing it. Uh, she said in a uh, letter directed to the uh, uh, FBI uh, uh, director um, and then on to the Senate Intelligence Committee. So there's still a lot to be told about what went on before September 11th, apparently. Boy, there's an awful lot bubbling under the surface. Uh, I, for one, personally... I believe there is, even if they had warnings, and they had a million warnings about a million things all the time, unless they have uh, more extensive knowledge than we have yet seen, I, I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not laying the blame yet, but this is a developing story, and uh, you never can tell where it's going to go. So, I, you know, kind of like Chandra Levy, you got to leave that one in Stan's gray box or in the open somewhere, right? Uh, let's see, a bomb attached to a tanker truck blew up near a hu huge uh, fuel depot uh, in Tel Aviv. <laughs> it just goes on and on and will go on and on and on. Listen, we are being bombarded tonight. Uh, several hours ago, a huge geomagnetic storm got underway. Uh, following a coronal mass ejection, which hit Earth's magnetic field uh, more or less right square. And so we are, uh, if you're a sky watcher, you know, if you're in a northern latitude, you absolutely are going to be treated to a light show probably going on right now. Uh, I would expect uh, uh, in northern latitudes and, and perhaps... Uh, depending on the strength of the storm as it develops. You know, this is a big boom to Earth. You may even see uh, corona as far south as mid-latitude, so uh, anybody from about the central part of the country on up uh, ought to keep their eyes out for a light show tonight, right now. Well, it began as a low hum, hardly noticeable. But within months, the endless throbbing was like a corkscrew twisting into Diane Anton's temples. The walls of her home vibrated, the bed shook, bouts of nausea, short-term memory loss, and hand tremors followed. This is all you might, get, you might know in Kokomo, Indiana, quoting, The noise was so penetrating and invasive, she said, and it just wasn't getting better, end quote. So she abandoned her job, $180,000 house. She just flat took off. She was the first person driven out of the city by what's come to be known as the Kokomo Hum. But indeed, she may not be the last. As many as 90 people in that town are complaining about a low-frequency hum, and it's been going on for three years, according to the city attorney there. Now, while most residents didn't hear a thing, 
beyond the typical sounds of the city's um, uh, factories and roads, the city council, get this folks, has now approved a $100,000 study of the mysterious noise often described as the constant idle of a tractor-trailer's diesel engine. Uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the the representative of the city said, well, you know, we decided rather than sit on our duffs and talk about it, let's try and do something. The city intends to request proposals for the study by the end of the month. Those who suffer the hum uh, and have had to uh, educate themselves about low-frequency sound say it's about time, it's about time. The point, they point to evidence uh, grounded in science. The exposure to constant low-frequency noise can cause vibroacoustic disease. It has symptoms that mirror the ailments of those that the people in Kokomo are raising hell about nausea, headaches, dizziness, to name just a few. And now, as you know, there was also there is also the Taos hum. Uh, there, you know. What do you think this might be? Could it be our military doing something way underground? Boring, doing something deep boring of some sort. But, you know, this stuff has been going on for years now. We've even had a case of it uh, here in my valley. I had a friend uh, who had a house, I've told this story, and he had a porch, and when he put the porch in, now bear in mind, we're just over the hill from Area 51, when, when he put the porch in, the, uh, the, the vibration and the hum was so bad that nobody could sleep in the house. This is a good friend of mine, all first person here, folks. Uh, it was so bad, they couldn't sleep in the house. He and his Russian bride... They couldn't sleep. Things vibrated. Things fell off uh, tables. What he ended up doing was uh, unconstructing the porch, knocking the whole thing, damn thing down. So there, there's something, something unusual going on below ground. <laughs> I have no idea what it is. It could be connected to our military. It could be connected to something really strange. Who knows? But in Kokomo, uh, maybe they'll find out $100,000 into the wind to try and find out what's causing the trouble below ground. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from the 23rd of May, 2002. This is uh, pretty, pretty weird. We live, boy, we do live in a weird world, don't we, folks? Uh, this occurred in Ferguson, Missouri. What I'm about to tell you just occurred in Ferguson, Missouri. Police there in Ferguson are investigating a rather bizarre case. As many as 40 animal eyeballs, that's right, eyeballs only, were found scattered in four back yards. When Ahmad and uh, Bianca Comer went out to play, they found the eyeballs in their yard. 
The medical examiner's office uh, tells a local station there the eyes are from cows. Hmm. Some were also found Tuesday night in the yards of three neighbors. Police think the eyes may have come from a meat packing plant or perhaps a school lab. But they don't know. They don't know. They don't think it's a case of animal abuse, but eyeballs everywhere. Now, you could imagine a lot of things, couldn't you, from something like that, I suppose. I mean, what's always missing? Maybe I'm reaching a little bit here, but I mean, what's always missing after a cow abduction, a cow mutilation of some sort, huh? Right on up there near number one, eyeballs. Eyeballs are missing. So maybe those who continually dissect cows uh, had an overage of eyeballs or had finished their work on the eyeballs and just did an eyeball dump. <laughs> I have no idea, but we'll find out. Uh, with regard to my stance on terrorism and the use of tactical nuclear weapons, uh, I thought I would read you a typical... Uh, response on the negative side. You know, it comes in about half and a half. Um, this is the kind of thing that I get, though. And now uh, it, he starts out greetings. You've earned yourself levels of hell, Art Bell, by promoting the use of nuclear weapons for the CIA. Well, you know, actually, I didn't do that. I did promote the use of uh, tactical nuclear weapons in certain specific areas. Actually, I, I would never, I'm just talk host, I wouldn't make judgment about where they're best used. But yes, I, I did say that. I certainly didn't say for the CIA. Anyway, he goes on to say, I can't even uh, begin to tell you of the pain and suffering that you will endure come judgment day for the outright slaughter you are helping to promote. For your information, the U.S. is the number one terrorist nation on earth and will be forcibly thrown down into the pit of hell when the Lord's fury and wrath arrive soon. We will overthrow those whom you, meaning me, serve completely when the time comes. They will not prevail against us. The Satanists you serve shall be totally wiped off from the face of the planet come judgment day. That day draws ever closer. It will be a day of darkness. Well, thanks for the cheery little letter there. That's kind of typical. You know, actually, that sounds like J.C. on paper, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds like J.C. on paper. And then finally, there's this. Uh, we're about to do a show. If you know anything about human invisibility, it'd be nice to have you call in the first segment here. I realize that's a lot to ask for, you know. But uh, listen, listen to this. This just arrived tonight. Uh, subject, email, invisible, invisible me. Mr. Bell, first, thanks for the many varied subjects you bring uh, forth out of the shadows. I've worked nights for 24 years, so your show helps keep my synapses charged. I've heard on a previous show mention uh, spontaneous human invisibility, which might actually explain what happened to me. I came home from work, went down to the family room, checked the news and your website, meaning mine, about 20 minutes of wind-down time. I wish I could do it that quickly. And uh, being exhausted, I did the I'm-just-going-to-lay-down-on-the-couch routine. <laughs> Before I knew it, I was asleep. 
Uh, to set this up properly, uh, every working morning, I drive my wife to the uh, train that she takes to work at Sears Tower in Chicago. So it was imperative that I was uh, home. It was a deep sleep, and I, as I was awakened by my wife's seeming displeasure as she was quietly calling out my name as to not wake the kids, I could feel her anguished tension. So being in sort of a weak, weak alpha state, I said that I was uh, right here. I'm right here. But no response. I could feel her uh, the tension in her voice as she obviously did not see me well in a lit room. Again, I said, look, I'm right in front of you. Again, no response from my wife. She began a tensive tirade. <laughs> Obviously, uh, she didn't see me. So I began to laugh hysterically. Still no response from my wife of 22 years. And I became instantly concerned. I began to think, well, maybe I'm dead. You know the feeling where you're floating, telling them how to save you from death? But yet, very peacefully, my wife was upset at me not being physically present. She just went back to bed, frustrated. My death concern was alleviated with a pinch on my arm. I took a deep breath, arose from the couch, went up to the bedroom, went up to my wife, and said, why didn't she answer me? To which she reported, uh, where was I? And uh, why was I home so late? vehemently uh, denying my presence anywhere in our house and asking, where was I? Strange, Art, but absolutely true. And that's from uh, Donald Moore. Thanks, Donald. That's pretty typical of this incredible thing we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, people, uh, I, I saw a really, I love NYPD Blue. And uh, Sipowitz and company had this guy in an interrogation room, you know, in, in, in their New York City cops on, and obviously NYPD Blue, right? And they had this guy, and this guy had uh, uh, gone to uh, some sort of voodoo lady because uh, he was going to commit a crime. He was some voodoo lady to have an invisibility, um, what would you call it, spell, I suppose, cast upon him, and he had to drink something, and this guy was convinced he could be invisible. And at one point, they actually, they were done with him, and they wanted this guy to just go. And so they began, you know, acting in the room as, though, you know, hey, where is he? My God, he's escaped. You know, and this guy's going, hmm. He's looking at himself, am I here? God, I really am invisible, you know? And they, of course, uh, used that ruse to sort of let him uh, walk out. He, he thought he was sneaking out. Of course, he was totally visible, but, but he, th he, he thought he was invisible. My God, it had worked. I'm Art Bell. And we'll be right back. Open lines directly ahead for about uh, 30 minutes. And then we'll talk about spontaneous human invisibility with Donna Higby. I've been waiting a while to do this. It's going to be an interesting night. This is Premier Networks. That was Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM on this Somewhere in Time. Come up,
Continues, courtesy of Premier Networks. Hey, by the way, there's a really interesting abcnews.com story about cats uh, entitled Meanings of Meow. Now, I'm not sure whether I sent this to Keith or not. I certainly should. It's quite a long article, but what it comes down to is the following. Scientists now believe that cats living alongside humans for... uh, how many years <laughs> the, the Egyptians had them, right, and worshipped them, that cats have begun to learn human humans and that they have adjusted their meows accordingly so that the meows uh, mean something to their human partners. It's really, really, really an interesting study, and I think that it's right. We, we have uh, four cats or children, slash children. They're like children, of course. And we have both noticed that every single cat has its own meow. We've also noticed, and non-cat owners, fine, you can think I'm out of my mind, we're out of our minds, but we're not. It's absolutely true. Each cat's meow is, first of all, different, as different as vo- you know one human voice is to another. Moreover... Uh, we've we've begun to learn, I guess, or they. I'm not sure which way it goes. We've learned their meows. I, uh, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. They've learned to tell us what they want. There's a go outside meow. There's a time for food meow. There's a how come you're not paying attention to me meow. There's an angry meow. There's even a laugh and a happy meow. There's uh, these scientists are dead right. And so I think the evolutionary chain, uh, the parallel that exists between cats all these years and humans is beginning to somewhat come together. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from the 23rd of May, 2002. Uh, by the way, I'm open for any suggestions as to any theme you might find intriguing to do in open lines tomorrow night. Friday night, Saturday morning is going to be open lines this week. And so anything that you find particularly fascinating, you know me, I will do anything. <laughs> so if you have a particular subject you would like to see in tomorrow night's open lines explored, uh, send, send it to me. Art Bell at MindSpring.com.
That's A-R-T-B-E-L-L at mindspring.com. And who knows what we'll do tomorrow night. But right now, off into the night we go. First time caller line, you are on the air. Hello. Hello, Robert. Yes. How are you doing? I'm doing much better tonight. Thank you. I actually had consecutive hours of sleep. Oh, that's great for a talk show host, I'm sure. <laughs> it's a good thing, yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, I uh, I work late into the night all the time, too, so I know how it feels. Um, uh, I'm privileged to be on your show for the first time. I uh, started listening to you back in the days of Desert Storm, but it's uh, been a long time. I sort of faded out there, and then I recently picked you back up again. It's really amazing how many really big world events I've been through on talk radio as I think back on it. God, incredible. Well, and, I know. Any, anyway, what's up, sir? Well, you know, um, I'm calling from an Orthodox Christian perspective. And, okay. And uh, I don't know how many of us you get on. But, oh, there's uh, many of you. Oh, really? Oh, oh yes. That's sure. good. Well, um, I was just really intrigued and very interested in the other night's uh, guest, uh, Mr. Jameson. Yes. What was his first name? I... Uh, Brian, Brian. Brian Jameson. Yes. yes. Okay. And uh, I was just really intrigued with uh, some of his arguments for reincarnation, and I know he cited biblical references, and I was wondering if it'd be okay if I responded from a... No, please, please, not, not to quote, be quoting the Bible. Uh, he... Uh, you're welcome to address the issue. Don't just read from the Bible for me, please. Oh, no, okay. No, I'm not going to... You know, if it. you thought that he was wrong, explain to me how you thought he was wrong. Oh, okay. Well, um, I just felt that his citation of the ninth chapter of John where the man was born blind. Yes. And the question that uh, some people had addressed to Jesus was, um, you know, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And the argument goes that, well, in order for him to have sinned, uh, to be born blind, that uh, seems to indicate that he existed in some previous life, uh, which you know, caused his birth into this blindness. Yes. And uh, I just wanted to offer a couple of other explanations that I don't think, uh, you know, that reincarnation is at all necessary to interpret that. Well, and, you know, I would, have, I, I would have some tough questions for you, too, about the Council of Nicaea and all that stuff, where they took the concept, uh, or, or actually, I guess, the words of, about reincarnation out of the Bible. Isn't that a big problem for you? Uh, no, because that's not at all true. It's, well, it's not? No. Uh, every scholar I've talked to on the subject says it is. Um, are you talking to uh, uh, and, well, scholars? Listen, or? listen. listen. Even uh, Father Malachi Martin, who was uh, right up there with two popes, said it. Okay. Well, um, my understanding of the, of the second... Are you talking about the Second Council of Constantinople? Uh, the Council of, uh, was, was Nicaea, so I'm not sure which other than that. Well, now, Nicaea had nothing to Nicaea. do with it at all, but I know that Constantinople, they, they refuted uh, uh, the, the Church Father Origen, but his belief was not reincarnation at all. He held to pre-existence of souls, but he believed in only one incarnation in the flesh, and then after that, the judgment. Well, then what kind of existence, pre-existence of soul? Well, he believed that the soul had uh, a single point of creation by God. And I and suppose then, that, that, was, uh, that, uh, that came to be considered heresy, huh? Yes, <laughs> that is true. Uh, all right, well, uh, listen, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate your call, and... Uh, uh, the subject is absolutely fascinating. I, 
I thought the program we did uh, with Brian Jamison was ex exceptionally interesting with regard to uh, reincarnation, but you know what? Intellectually, uh, I have some problems with his concept of reincarnation, and that is that it goes on endlessly. There is no graduation. There is, in effect, no heaven, no hell. Just uh, reincarnation after reincarnation after reincarnation. That's what he believes, and that's fine. Uh, intellectually, I have a problem with that because it sounds like a bummer. I mean, uh, if there really is a continuity to the soul and consciousness, then... I'm not sure that a good future includes endlessly coming back here to do it again without having learned very much. I just... There's not a lot of heaven in that. Of course, there's not a lot of... Well, you might argue there's some hell in that. <laughs> I don't know. So I had a, a problem with that aspect of it, but I thought it was an incredible presentation. Uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hello. 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 Hey, how you doing, Mark? I'm doing fine. Yeah, I'm Michael from uh, Indio, California. Yes, sir. Listening to AM 970. That's the way to do it. Give him yeah. a plug. Yeah. Okay, uh, I have theories on uh, mysterious hums and where they're located in parts of the world where there's a lot of geological and seismic activity, such as New Mexico, where Taos is located. Well, what about Kokomo, Indiana? Hmm. Good, good question. Uh, yeah, it's really I, good. I did check the map of Indiana on my road. I was yeah, but seismic things sir, right. tend to occur suddenly. You know, there's a boom, a slip, and you get an earthquake, right? Yeah. I, it's hard to imagine what would cause this. You really think seismic something or another is causing all Geological. this? Geological. Geologic? Yeah, like in the Rocky Mountains in the southwest, I know there's a lot of areas that are known to have caves, and, you know, when yeah, you walk there into you go, a cave. There, there you go back to the southwest, sir. Uh, we're talking Kokomo, Indiana. Yeah, but what's weird about I checked the map, right? Yes. Where where there's a lot of hums are actually near Air Force bases and military installations. And the Kokomo area has that one base. Uh, I don't know the name. I may check the map, but uh, do you believe? Oh no! no wait, wait, do... wait a minute now. Now you're leaping to another theory that it's there's two theories. Uh huh. Geological and uh, military uh, technological and I think there's a link using geological sites as probably for for some military purpose uh like from caves uh -huh. or holes in the ground and stuff. There, do you think there's a link including <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Area 51? What, what, uh, what do you what do you imagine uh well yeah, we have we've got it here. What what do you imagine it might be what uh, that they would be doing that would be causing this. Military and the Air Force are trying to choose something similar to you know holes and caves or <laughs> geological sites for you know harnessing the hums or low frequency noises for uh, their own purpose. But I think you know what they're testing on local resonance. Well, uh, you may be exactly right, sir. Thank you. You may <laughs> that may be exactly right. It may be nothing more than a, t a test. Now, that's a pretty good guess. That they've, uh, after all, you know, they have tested stuff on us before, right? You've heard all the stories. They've sprayed cities. They've done this and that to sort of test things out. So why not test low-frequency uh, hum and its effect on human beings? They're doing a lot of work in that area right now, uh, non-lethal and lethal. So why not test it? That's a, that, that's one good theory. It's as good as any other right now. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. 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 
Yes, um, Arna, you um, suggested some uh, guests. I would suggest uh, someone who I'm pretty sure uh, you wouldn't want to have on, but uh, I think he should be on, and that's a uh, uh, couple of guests. One is uh, Michael C. Rupert. He was with uh, Intelligence with the Los Angeles Police Department. That sounds interesting. And uh, problem with that? An expert on the CIA, and he uh, uh, he he makes a very compelling case that. Uh, 9-11 was a Reichstag fire that the um, uh, American government uh, oh. sec section of uh, intelligence aligned with Bush knew it was going to happen, allowed uh -huh. it to happen to justify police state measures domestically. Now I'm not so sure that I want to have them on. Well, that's exactly my point. People, or, or another one I would suggest would be uh, James Bamford, the top expert on the National Security Agency. Now, he uh, has put out a book, uh, Body of Secrets, and uh, the heart of the book is completely ignored whenever he's interviewed by the major cable channels to uh, find better ways for intelligence gathering. The heart of his book is that during the uh, late 50s and early 60s, the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Undersecretary of Defense and others high in government had plans to perpetrate terrorist bombings against American cities and falsely blame it on Cuba as a pretext to invade Cuba. It was only called... Uh, sir, we've the... got... Wait, hold on right there. All right, enough already. We, we, you know, we've got a deal not to invade Cuba. And you know that? We've got a deal not to invade Cuba. It was made back during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Everybody knows that. So there wouldn't be anybody cooking up a pretext to invade Cuba. Cuba will change hands soon enough. Fidel grows old, his beard grows grayer, and his time will be up, and then things are going to change in Cuba. And until then, we're not going to invade it because we made a promise not to. That's an old Cold War promise, you know. And as far as the United States um, actively deciding to drop bombs and blow things up and their own people and their own uh, people in government, sorry, I don't follow that road. I know there are a lot of people who think in those kind of really dark conspiratorial terms, but I'm not one of them. Uh, there may be some controversy about some pre-knowledge regarding 9-11, and we'll see how that story develops, but do I think the U.S. Uh, government people planned all this and decided they would uh, kill off Americans and knock down buildings and hit the Pentagon and try to hit the White House so that they could clamp down on us? No. Do I think a clamping down on the Bill of Rights and our freedoms is likely if terror continues? Damn right I do. But I don't think there's an inner conspiracy, you know, whooshing this along so that they can steal the rights out from under us. That's one I, I'm sorry. That's, that's too far out there for me. I guess my belief, and I do cling to some belief, you know, about the human nature of people includes those who work in our government most of them are good people and never in a million years you know very do you know there were very few uh, over the years u.s spies uh, and and by that i mean um u.s citizens who have turned against america you know dispersing secrets sure you can name a line of them but uh it, it, you know two hands maybe there aren't many. The Russians have had zillions. The Chinese have had zillions. Uh, these dictatorships have had zillions that have defected and, you know, come over here and told us lots of stuff. But you don't see very many Americans doing that, and there's good reason why. It's still the best place in the world to live, period. End of story. Doubt it. Travel a little bit. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello.
Hello, Mr. Bell? That would be me. The wild thing at 775-727-1295. I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to uh, eliminate that. We That's okay. Uh, That's so, all right. So I, let, I just let, wanted to welcome two new listeners up in Port, Port Angeles. Oh, you have friends? new affiliate. You have stage. friends in Port Angeles. Huh? You have friends in Port Angeles. Yeah, Jack and Nancy. Hey, Jack. Hey, Nancy. <laughs> this goes back 40 years. He's one of my, he's one of my uh, old fishing cronies. Okay. Anyway, the other reason uh, I, I was trying to give, give you a call here the last couple of nights, and I ran across some wonderful neighbors you have that live in, in Pahrump Valley. Oh? Because I accidentally misdialed, and one is uh, oh, <laughs> I did no. it twice. One oh, was oh, named no. Penelope, oh, no, and the no, other's no, no. name is Gene. <laughs> uh, and I told him I would mention their name if I ever got through to you. Oh, my God. Uh, listen, uh, let, let me stop you for a second. Please, everybody. It's the middle of the night. I live in a little town called Pahrump, Nevada. If you dial the wrong number, you wake up one of uh, my neighbors, probably somebody that I know. Please yeah. dial carefully. And, and, and also, at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning, please do not try to engage my neighbors in conversations about cow mutilations. It's, it just doesn't go. <laughs> okay, sir, proceed. All right. Anyway, the the reason, the, the real reason I called is to let you know that uh, uh, your comments re the other evening regarding uh, the terrorism. Oh yes. And your position on it, I happen to agree with you one hundred percent. And I was hoping that Ms. that President Bush would make a deal with uh, President Putin to lower our nuclear uh, uh, stockpiles by about a hundred apiece. And if we ever get struck again, or or Russia gets struck again, let's just. Uh... Well, let me tell you something. Yeah. I'm going to just imagine something for a second. All right. Sure. So imagine with me. They're over there. Uh, uh, the president's talking to Putin about further reductions in uh, nuclear stockpiles, which is fine. But I'll bet you, I'd be willing to bet you a lot of money. Not that we'll ever know, but that in very private conversations, I'll bet you Bush and Putin are sitting there having a discussion about uh, the possible use of tactical, tactical nuclear weapons if another terrorist incident occurs. I would bet a lot of money on that, 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 that our president is telling Putin, look, uh, there's going to come a time when um, our, if something else happens, when our response will not be able to be limited, and you should be aware of it, and we should work out the details of it now so we don't end up in World War III. And I bet you they're having that conversation. Well, from your lips to God's ears, because I'll tell you, this I happen to agree with you 100%. I'm sick and tired of this, uh, uh, this threat, uh, constant threat, and so on and so forth. It's, just, it's terrible. It's anyway, more, I'll let you go. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, it's more than just constant threat. First of all, it's reality. Uh, these are people, and my um, guest said it well the other night, uh, forget about religions and color of skin or whatever. These are bar barbarians at the gate with murder in their heart. They want us dead. D-E-A-D, -E dead. They did everything in their power to kill as many thousands of Americans at once as they could. They're desperately now trying to get their hands on uh, chemical, biological, and nuclear weapons. And do you for one second, even one 
second think when they do get their hands on these things they're not going to use them well you're wrong they are they're going to take down as much of America as they can if they can poison an entire country they'll do it if they can blow up cities in our country they're going to do it they're going to kill women and children without uh, any regard or even a second thought they're going to kill civilians in America I have suggested a tactical nuclear strike at non uh, predominantly non-civilian areas uh, what I'm suggesting is that we uh, uh, look them in the face and don't just say but uh, do have the convictions of our uh, uh, you know have the ability to reach out and touch them as they have touched us and I'll bet you Putin and Bush are talking about that right now now of course this is one bet we could never settle but I'll bet they are. The trip back in time continues with Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM. More somewhere in time coming up. I saw the look in your eyes, looking into mine, seeing what you wanted to see. Darling, don't say a word, cause I already heard what your body's saying to mine. I'm tired of fast moving. presents Art Bell Somewhere in Time tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from May 23rd 2002 coming up in a moment Donna Good Higby on the subject of spontaneous human invisibility it's incredible but it's true and it's coming right up You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from the 23rd of May, 2002. Okay. 
Donna Good Higby has always had a very keen interest in the paranormal, metaphysics, esoteric studies, and religion. She began having uh, mystical experiences when she was just 18 years old. Donna graduated from the University of California at Santa Barbara with uh, highest honors and a BA in religious studies. It's interesting. Her interest in UFOs began in 1993 when she began working as an assistant and public relations agent for a nationally known UFO researcher. No kidding. During that time, she also attended school and received certification as a clinical hypnotherapist, which specialized in working with people who felt they have had non-human encounters. Wow. Donna was the founder and director of CEIT, Seed Contact Encounters Investigation Team. That's a research organization that studied abduction encounters and trends from 1993 through 1998. She also established uh, Deona Promotions, a company that uh, brought guest speakers like Dr. Roger Lear, you know him, Robert O'Dean, Mark Davenport, uh, Leah Haley, John Carpenter, Michael Glickman, uh, all kinds of uh, stars like that to Santa Barbara to give seminars and lectures. In uh, 94, she began an investigation into human spontaneous involuntary invisibility and maintains the only database in the world of such experiences and reports. A book is in the making, apparently. Not out yet, though. Now, here's what happened. I, One of you wonderful listeners, in fact... I've actually got it here. Uh, let's see. From uh, uh, from uh, actually, you know what? This came from overseas. This came from uh, the Netherlands. Oh, isn't that? In- I had never noticed that. This came from the Netherlands, and it's uh, seven pages. Uh, so compelling. Seven pages so compelling that Donna wrote uh, that somehow got out on the internet. I'm about to ask about that that it caused me to launch an entire program on the, on this subject. And, you know, I, I pined away at the time that I would really like to find the person who wrote this, Donna uh, Donna Good-Higby, and, uh, and I found her. Here she is. Donna. Yes, good evening. Good evening. Gosh, it's great to find you, number I'm one. I'm so pleased to be with you. I'm really, really pleased to be able to get this information out to your listeners. All right, let's um, let's begin with my first question. Uh, this was sent to me from the Netherlands, I just happened to notice on the header. Uh, so th- whatever it is you wrote and what you wrote it, I don't know what you wrote it for, how it got on the Internet. How did all that happen? How, what is this I'm holding? <laughs> Uh, you're holding a report, really the first report of several that I'm, I've been doing all along in a rather strange phenomenon, the human spontaneous involuntary invisibility. I call it HSII for short. Okay. I was doing my hypnotherapy, had a support group for a number of people who felt they'd had contacts, abductions, one thing and another, and needed a a safe environment to be able to discuss these kinds of um, goings-ons. And I had one woman come to me and want to tell me in confidence that she'd had this experience, and actually she'd had it several times, and didn't know what to make of it, didn't want to think she was going crazy, but really just didn't know what to do with it and felt at least that she could, uh, in confidence, talk to me. I wouldn't be judgmental. I would try to help her. Right. 
Um, she related an instance of going to the post office, standing in line, having another person come along behind her, uh-huh. ask the man ahead of her if he was the last person in line. That man said, yes, I am, and the new gentleman stepped into place, almost stepping on Vera. Oh, my God. And she stepped to the side, thought, well, this is extremely rude. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we have some pretty think. awful people here. And, yes. But continued to move up with the line but off to the side a tiny bit. Her time came. She went up to the window, began speaking. The man behind her walked right up to the same window and began speaking, and the clerk didn't even see or acknowledge Vera, but immediately began to help the gentleman. And that was her very first time, and, and she just thought, these people are really rude, and she left the post office. And then just began to realize that every now and then, maybe a restaurant, maybe a shopping mall, um, someplace where there were a number of people with whom she'd have to interact, since that's the only way you know it's happening to you. You have to attempt to interact with someone or you don't feel it yourself. You don't know it. Uh, anyway, she wanted to sit with me and, and tell me that experience and say, am I going crazy? Uh, I don't suppose you heard the uh, first hour tonight, did you? I'm afraid I didn't. No, you didn't. All right. I, I read a letter, uh, an email that I got tonight from a guy who was at home uh, with his wife, and his wife couldn't find him, and yeah. he was right there. Yes. You know, he was right there and she began to get angry. Yes. And he he reacted first laugh, laughing hysterically, you know. He thought it was some sort of big joke, but then the jo- joke time went away. And what occurred to him was when he realized that she really was not hearing him, she really wasn't seeing him, he thought for a moment he was dead. Oh my. Yes, I haven't had anyone actually say that to me yet. But uh, I can see how you might. You, you might you think know. you were, your body was laying somewhere. You were out of body, or who knows? That in fact, he mentioned uh, out of body, uh, sort yeah. of a floating experience. But right. Uh, but it was otherwise. Everything was absolutely normal. It's right. just that he wasn't physically there, mm-hmm. and at one point he was even able to talk to her. But did she hear him? But she, oh, and she heard him, and she oh, okay. did. But she didn't see him. Oh, still didn't. Ah, that's right. Oh, okay. That's a slightly different twist from some of these. I'm, I'm sitting here just to give you an idea of what I have in front of me. I'm sitting here with at least one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, twelve piles of letters that I've tried to put in some semblance of categories so that I can oh. offer to the listener a varied uh, grouping of the different kinds of things that happen and the different responses and just kind of really what's going on out there. Well, I took call after call after reading. I, I think I, in part, you know, I sort of uh, parceled it out through the program, but I think I read all seven pages, ultimately, of your report to my audience um, at one time or another as we went through the program. And people would call up saying, oh, it's absolutely true. It's happened to me. Now, it appears, I want to talk a little bit about the nature of it. You say spontaneous um Involuntary. Involuntary. In other words, and it's true, everybody that I've spoken with thus far has just had this happen to them. They, yes. did, they didn't make it happen. They no. couldn't make it stop. It, it went away on its own. That's true. It, and it that's why you're letting them. Yes, it comes upon them. In fact, many of them, um, I'm going to read, if I may, later or as we go along, 
small little portions of this one and that one because uh, I want you to hear some of the wording of the people themselves. And so many of them say, oh, my God, thank goodness I found you. I thought I was going crazy. Yeah, that's exactly right. I thought that's... I was absolutely insane. Now yep. I don't feel so alone. I'm so pleased you put that on the Internet. And so that was the this report that I'm holding that I used for that show, that was the focal beginning uh, for you as a collection point for this kind of information? Is that No, not quite. Uh, after Vera came to me, I filed that away wondering, what the heck do I do with this? Right, <laughs> sure. Uh, not having heard of it myself, and I thought, well, maybe she's just a little imaginative, having had other kinds of um, uh, psychic experiences. And then a second person came to me sometimes later, uh, not knowing the first person, and reported a similar type of thing. This one was similar to what the one you said earlier. The woman was sitting on her sofa, staring at the wall, trying to decide what kind of wallpaper to get, and went into kind of a reverie state, just staring at the wall. And actually, she said that she noticed that the wall seemed not quite so solid, and she became really fascinated with looking at the... Um, the less solid nature of the, that particular wall that she was staring at. And she became so fascinated with that that she kind of saw the husband walking back and forth through the house, through the living room, kind of just saw him as a shadow passing by, uh-huh. paid no attention. She was really lost in her thoughts. Right. Then eventually she kind of came out of her thoughts, and the husband said, Where have you been? You've been hiding from me. You know that we have to go to that meeting. <sighs> you know, why have you done this to me? He was just outraged was just yelling at her, and she was sitting there flabbergasted okay, because well, she, she'd been she was, there. She was in an altered state of some kind. Yes, and this has been reported by... In fact, I have, again, one of my categories is the time problem, so I won't really address it right yet, but there are different kinds of problems that seem to impinge on this one main one of just uh, not being seen. <sighs> It's quite fascinating, quite fascinating. Um, uh, well, do you think that it's possible that her, um, that that she actually put herself into a state uh, where uh, she virtually was uh, in some way gone from this reality? Well, or? I think she was there. Um, now, I do think that she changed her uh, vibrational frequency, her aura, her frequency. Yes, yes. And I'll get into, uh, I'll lay that out for the listeners. Um, it's taken me a number of years to come to the point I'm at, and I'm sure I'm not there yet. <laughs> I have a long ways to go. But the place where I'm at now, I've kind of laid out a progression of what I think is happening and just kind of what has brought us there and whether or not we really are still here or vibrating at a higher frequency and in another place or or where we are. And, and I'd like I, I to kind of get that when I can, uh, maybe after a break where I have a, a span of time to really lay it out. No, I think you're on the right track, Donna, with regard to vibrational frequency. Uh, we see only, uh, and hear, hear and see only in a relatively... You know, when you look at the entire spectrum, we only see a little tiny, tiny. piece of that spectrum, yes. uh, both above and below. Yes, it's very small. In frequency. And uh, uh, above us, there's just a gigantic total world out there. And 
I went through this thing. I'm sure. I'm, are you a, a sometimes listener to the program? Oh, yes, sometimes uh, when okay. I can stay up that late. Yeah, okay. We went through a whole thing on what we called shadow people. Mm-hmm. Uh, these things that you see sort of in the corner of your eye. Yes, yes. Other dimensional beings. And, and, and mm-hmm. Well, you're exactly right. Other people began to see them straight on. And the only conclusion we could come to was that they were operating, uh, for the most part, at a much higher vibrational frequency and 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 more and more these days people seem to have bouts of time when their ability to see into a higher frequency is manifesting itself that's true and and I, you're getting me all excited here because that's exactly what i'm going to address a little bit later on is is what i've kind of pieced together with bits and pieces here and there here and there and come up with something that i think is Oh, well, it blows me away, and I've been working with it, so I'm hoping that it'll blow your audience away, too. Well, I'm sure it will. Uh... Um, let me say that in the beginning, way back, so that I don't jump totally ahead of myself here, uh, I was trying to make a connection between the HSII and UFO experience. Really? Because in the beginning, those people who knew me, who knew of my work, were people who had been in the abductee support group, and so had had those kinds of experiences. So I thought, well, maybe this is something. If indeed we accept that non-human contact is happening, the right. UFO thing is happening, people report being taken through walls, through the walls of craft, uh, you know, gone through procedures or whatever they go through, and then That's returned right. through the wall of the craft, through the wall of their own home That's right. and put back in their beds or living room or It would whatever. be a natural assumption for you to make working in uh, in that field and well, a natural connection. Now, yeah. now, how do you feel about that now? No, I tried real hard to put that together because I thought that would be a new take on the whole subject. But right. uh, I've got, uh, I must have, I think I counted up... Uh, on all my zip disks, something like 1,400 letters and reports and research papers from other uh, researchers at this point. I have so many cases of this, and when I look back through that, I can't really make a case for a link-up between HSII and UFO involvement. Um, a number of those people who have been, quote, abducted seem to have this experience, but maybe if indeed their UFO experience is a real accounting, their vibration was changed at the time, and so then they would be able to have these kinds of HSII experiences. But, but as your da- database built, uh, obviously... I can't the, make a clear the, correlation. The numbers that had no correlation to UFOs probably uh, began to go up out of sight, and so naturally yeah. you're going to say to yourself, uh-uh, something else is going on. Yeah, I've set that aside, kind of off on the back burner for the moment, and... As I've pursued some other avenues, which, again, like I say, I'll mention, um, I think I'm closer to what's happening than I would have been had I stayed on the track of the UFO. I'm sure that's correct. And, I, you, you know, we could have a separate and maybe should have a separate discussion about abduction. I'd love to do that with you. But I, I'm really reaching to understand what's this happening. Time. You know, I, so many subjects it boils down to... We start saying, you know, there's some sort of veil that's beginning to lift. There's something that's beginning to change. It's probably within us. Part of it's within us, but part of it is not. Or let's say there's some external factors coming into play right now that are changing 
us inside. Put it that way. What do you imagine? Well, do you want me to? Have we got to know you're going to go off for a break? Well, don't worry Isn't about it? the breaks. Just, uh, you know, we'll just uh, segue right around it. So just plunge okay. into it. Let me kind of lay it out, if I may, then, um, because I kind of progressed to a point here. Uh, I think, I think the human, well, not everyone, I think a number of people are undergoing this um, transitional process, this raise in frequency. And I think there's several factors that build up to this. And if I may, I'd like to just give a real quick read to a, a letter, a very short letter. All right, well, that you better hold for the break. Do you think, uh, let me ask you one question, do you believe that this change that's going on, uh, both internal and external factors considered, and we'll talk about that, is occurring demographically evenly? In other words, is it happening to older people, middle-aged yes. people, and younger people at a roughly equal rate. Seems to be. In fact, two of the letters that I held out to read to you, one is a 17-year-old boy who has a punk band, oh, and okay. the other is a 70-year-old woman who's telling of an experience with her husband. All so, right, we're going to do all of that and more. Hold on. It is now the bottom of the hour. I'm Art Bell. This is Premier Networks. That was Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM. On this, somewhere in time. Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from the 23rd of May, 2002. Good morning. We're talking about spontaneous, human spontaneous involuntary invisibility with Donna Good Higby. Nothing but open air in front of us, so coming right up. Now, we take you back to the past. 
on Art Bell Somewhere in Time. The temptation for me, of course, is to rush ahead uh, because I've been talking about this topic so much, but um, really, I do understand that a lot of you are sitting out there going, give me a break, human invisibility, give me a break. Well, <laughs> it's true, and what we probably ought to do is let Donna tell a few stories um, that she's gathered from her research. Uh, Donna. Okay. Uh, let's see. Where to begin? Um have so many of them here. Let me read a couple simple accounts that I'm sure people can, people who've had this might relate to. Uh, this is from a woman named Lisa. She said, I was just reading your website about invisibility and was shocked to find people with similar problems as me. It has caused me numerous problems in trying to get back into a gathering, as everyone claims I'd never been inside the party before. Hmm. I've also been stepped on, knocked over by people claiming never to have seen me. I'm a five foot ten blonde, and I don't think I'd be that easy to miss. <laughs> um, uh, many times my friends claim I was not with them at a particular party when I was. Also, I've gone in marathons and finished them only to have my name not show up on the completed list. I'm amazed there are other people out there. All right, uh, let me ask you about something. Uh, mm -hmm. She said knocked over by people who you know didn't know yeah. she was there. Okay, fine. Uh, does that? imply and is there a consistent uh, aspect of this invisibility thing where people do indeed become invisible however they are in fact physically there. still there is that is that a constant thread through a lot yes. of these oh yes they're there and they're looking out at the world thinking everything's normal and they don't understand why people are crashing into them to the person that is running into them, they don't see anything, and bang, they suddenly hit a person. And they're very shocked. The moment there's contact, the moment that they run into each other, it seems to jolt the frequency, jolt the person, the, the quote, invisible person, Yes. and they're back. And so all of a sudden, the person who ran into them sees them but can't understand why they didn't see them one second before. So it's as wow. much of a shock to the person running into them as it is to the poor person who almost gets run over. Right. I have never run into an invisible person, but yeah. I can guarantee you if I did, <laughs> uh, it would put me in shock. Yeah. I, I would go into shock. Yeah. Now, I've certainly sensed, uh, I've had moments in my life, many of them, and I, I know everybody in the audience has, when you have sensed somebody's there, I mean, the hairs on the back of your neck go straight up. You know, it's it's. I I think it's a primal thing in our brains. We know when there's a presence, whether it's visible or not. Mm -hmm. You think I so? I, oh, I agree with you. I think, and again, unless, uh, well, we wouldn't know there was an invisible person in our midst because we plain wouldn't see them. Yeah. It would only be the invisible person trying to communicate with us, trying to interact with us, who would know that they were in some kind of a state that they didn't really want to be in, they weren't happy about. Uh, this woman's in Australia. She says, uh, I'm a very big, tall girl with long black hair. Sometimes when I go shopping or out in the mall, I feel I'm not really there. I feel very calm, 
very relaxed, just listening to the birds or watching people. Sometimes I get a fizzy feeling, like after you blow up a balloon and you feel you're out of oxygen. Mm-hmm. Then I go to the counter and I stand there waiting to be served, but no one sees me or acknowledges me. Mm-hmm. Someone else will come up to the counter and they'll serve them straight away. It's not until I get angry, that's a key there, because it changes your frequency. It's not until I get angry and blurt out that I was next that they look at me in total surprise and then serve me. Most girls have said, I didn't see you, I'm so sorry, when I was standing right in front of them. Uh-huh. So it's coming from around the world. It's not just the U.S. I have, I have from, uh, well, in here I'll try to find the one I have from Malaysia, uh, Africa, Brazil, uh, Canada, Greece, England, uh, Every, France, everywhere. all over. Everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's worldwide. This isn't just something happening here. Why do you think that nobody that I'm aware of, until you have come along, has begun to put this together? I think people, if they have the experience, there as so many of these people have written to me saying, I thought I was going crazy. I couldn't tell anyone else about it. I'd be laughed at. Oh, listen, my lines uh, since we've been on the air have been dead flat full. And, <laughs> and uh, I, I know yeah. what awaits out there because yeah. I know the lands. After I read your report on the air and we did the show, I had, oh, my God, a landslide of yeah. email yeah. of people who have had this experience, but they don't They tell. don't want to talk about it. I mean, no, no one wants to be laughed at. That's right. No one wants to be thought less credible. No one wants to be held in less um, respect or, or thoughts of, of their family and their friends. They, they just don't want to talk about it. They, and they don't know how to explain it to themselves, so they push it way, way back in the, in the mind. In fact, I've had a number of these say, you know, I had this experience. I didn't know quite what to do. I thought maybe I was going crazy, so I just kind of didn't deal with it because how could I deal with it? There was no one to talk to. There was no one to uh, have any answers. And so these people just don't don't deal with it. And I think this has been happening. Well, I started in 94. I've seen an increase. I do have to tell you, I have seen an increase. So uh, Whatever's changing when, whenever is... this started, I can't say when it began for sure, but it certainly is increasing. Okay, uh, that, that makes sense to me. Um, I think that, you know, I wrote a book about it. It's just, you know. It's not a plug. It's called the quickening. I, I think that at the frequency of everything is increasing. The frequency of events, the severity of events, the environment, weather, social, political, every arena of human activity, it's all quickening. It's all getting faster at a pretty rapid pace. And this may be wrapped into that someplace. It is. It is. Uh, I really believe that it is. So. Uh, how about a few more letters? Just oh, to give abso- your, absolutely. I've got, I've got some good ones here. Oh, far away. Um, Karen, uh, actually I've become friends with this woman now because uh, she felt she couldn't talk to anyone else about these experiences, so we've mm-hmm. kind of become quite good friends. Um, Karen, one of her major ones, and it happened more than once to her, was she was driving in her car. She would come to a red light. She'd be the front car in the line. She'd come to a red light and stop. Pedestrians would be crossing the street, and she'd notice that they kind of peer in, and pretty soon they're over there looking in the car windows, staring into her car. Hmm. Light will go green. She'll begin to inch forward past the people, and they all have a fit because as far as they're concerned, 
This car is driving itself. Oh, Donna. They cannot see a driver. And oh. she has had that a couple times. Oh, Donna. Uh, I, there you, right on the money I've had. He, he, this is a whole, like it's a whole separate thing, only it's the same thing. I've had zillions of reports of driverless Oh, have you really? Oh, oh, how funny! Well, you know, over the years, you'll never know. Oh, that's very interesting. Well, when we drive, especially if it's a route that we've taken that we don't have to think about a lot, yes, we get—I think, at least I know I do—into just kind of a very relaxed state. Oh, almost, almost hypnotic. Almost, almost, and again, that puts you into a a different brainwave frequency, and. can change your frequency, as, as I'll show here. But it's just... Anyway, that was Karen's experience, one of hers. Okay. And the poor gal had... This own, this other one only happened one time, but it was very disconcerting to her. She uh, went off to a massage parlor. She was due to get a good massage, so she put on her um, white robe, uh, waited in the little waiting room. She was the only one in there. Uh-huh. Said that she was kind of cool being just in a robe, so she sat in the window in the sun... And she's got bright red hair, and here she sits there with a white gown in the sunshine, and the uh, woman whose uh, client she was came in twice, looked all around the room, didn't see her, left, came in a third time, walked over to a file cabinet, started making some notes on a clipboard there. She was almost knee-to-knee with this gal, with, with Karen, and suddenly, for whatever reason, well, I think Karen spoke. I think she said that she said, well, you know, I am here waiting. And the poor lady just about jumped out of her skin. Uh, uh, because as far as she was concerned, bang, this woman just appeared. No, I hear you. In other words, when she actually vocalized that, when she said, you know, I am here waiting, that's a, an exasperated emotional yes. response yes. that would snap her right back out of it, huh? Well, it's very interesting because I find both two things. One is that maybe 50% of the cases, when they speak, they are suddenly seen. But there's another percentage, and I don't really truly know how to address this yet, that they can speak all they want, like Vera in the post office. Hey, I'm next. (laughs) And people still do not hear or see them. And, in fact, let me find this one really interesting one that I've got here. Um about this man, oh dear, well I'm not going to find it to read it to you, but I'll just tell you, this young boy was was, um, walking along with his friends on a back road, real gravel road, and uh, when you walk on a gravel road, it makes a lot of noise. That's right. And he he walked up on ahead of them a little bit to, I don't know why, just was on ahead, he said, by about ten feet, ahead of the other three, and suddenly... Uh, he heard them sing. Now, he could hear them just fine, and he could hear himself walking. But he heard them say, my goodness, where did Brian go? <laughs> well, where could he have gone? There's nowhere to go. And so he stopped, and he turned around, and he started to walk back towards them. Now, he can still hear himself. He can hear them. It wasn't until he got three feet in front of them and said, what's wrong with you? I'm right here, that they could see him again. And then suddenly... Now, did they report, uh, in other words, uh, do, do, do you have stories from the witnesses of seeing people suddenly appear? Do you have as many stories that way as you do of those who have disappeared? Probably I think not. So. Well, no, I, I've got, 
No, not quite as many. You're right. I have yeah. a number of them, um, especially once people found out I was collecting this database. People wanted to say, well, guess what happened to me? And they would write to me. But, uh, yeah, most of them are from the point of view of the poor person who experienced it who just has to get it off their shoulders and, and tell their experience. Now, I do want to say to those people that are listening that think, oh, well, anybody can make up a story, there are a few components of this phenomenon that I am not reporting, I am not talking about, and it helps to keep these letters honest because when they write in and they have those components in them, uh-huh. and I've not spoken a word to anyone about them, I know that this person's having that experience. So I learned that in the UFO field. There's certain things you just simply don't um, identify or report. Many of the finest uh, UFO reporters I know, and that includes Peter Davenport, who used to be here regularly, uh, does exactly the same thing. There are things he will hold back that helps him qualify the storyteller. Yeah, yeah, you have to do that. You have to do that. Um, and then there are some you can just tell by the emotional content in their letter that they are feeling this. <laughs> they are upset. You now, know. how much correlation uh, is there with invisibility and um, sightings by the people reporting these invisibility stories of apparent non-human entities and I, I don't mean as in a uh, in an encounter you mean in, an encounter sighting. or an abduction or anything like that just a sighting mm, I can't say I can find a correlation honestly um, no a lot of uh, most of these folks if you talked UFO to them they'd probably go what Are well no, I, no 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 I'm not saying UFO I'm, I'm just saying non-human entities a lot of the oh any kind as yeah as in shadow people as in what we call shadow people as just a name uh these shadow beings these whatever they are that sort of are at the ed- edge of vision and occasionally then in full vision mm-hmm. uh, i would think there might be a correlation there could be i honestly haven't or this, you know, we're off. We're off in. There's a parallel study here. <laughs> we're into Zulu land here. I mean, nobody exactly has done a lot of work in this area except yeah. you, and so I don't know that we're, we can end up drawing a whole lot of conclusions about what this phenomena is. We're just guessing, right? Well, mm, yes, I don't know for sure, but I've I've got some kind of some interesting stuff here that. If you'll bear with me, even though it may not seem related at this very second, it no, will pull, pull together. Yeah, tie it. Um, that letter that uh, I mentioned earlier that um, I'd gotten, scientist friends sent me a copy of a newsletter that was posted about five years ago. And it says, NASA reports changes in sun. In 1994, NASA sent the spacecraft Ulysses out to measure the magnetic activity of the sun. Mm-hmm. The scientists recording readings at the sun's equator at the north and south poles. What they found totally confounded them. The recorded readings were exactly the same for both, both the north and south poles. In other words, there was no longer a north or south pole on the sun. The sun had lost its polarity. Said In addition to the disappearance of the sun's magnetic polarity, their findings seemed to indicate that now the sun was emitting a new type of light. I remember Our that sun story. is a hydrogen-based sun. As the hydrogen atoms fuse, they produce an atomic reaction, 
which literally powers our whole solar system. And in this fusion, the sun gives off light and other emissions, which, of course, we get here, right? Well, the readings taken by the spacecraft indicated that the sun is now becoming a helium sun and that the light and the emissions coming from the sun are different. This is particularly interesting given the Mayan prophecy that talks about how in the final or end days we would receive a new light from the sun. This is actually occurring now. I'm still reading from the newsletter now. That a few months later, scientists detected fluctuations in the Earth's magnetic field, both fluctuating from side to side and becoming weaker in its magnetic strength. Then I go to a letter that came from... Let me find it here, a German friend of mine who's working in Russia. And he said, I'm going to quote just a part of it. It says, the geomagnetic field of the Earth is undergoing huge changes. Mm-hmm. In the last 20 years, the field has not only been dropping, but has be- become erratic. During the last two weeks of September 94, the world experienced a geomagnetic field wobble. Airlines worldwide were forced to manually land their airplanes because the geomagnetic field of the Earth began to move. I reported that uh, extensively on this program. Yeah, then during July and August of 96, two years later now, the South Pole was actually moving around sometimes as much as a 1,000 miles off its normal position. And pilots are having serious problems from time to time in this regard. End quote of his letter. But then I did some more work, and it said in the summer of 98... The Russian computer model showed that we passed the point where the geomagnetics could be reversed, meaning that whenever a system gets to that stage, it's going to go to zero. Right. Okay, so we've got that component. We've got geomagnetics going to zero, number one issue. Number two, at the same time, we've got the Schumann resonance is increasing. Now, the Schumann resonance is that uh, signature frequency that is from the surface of the Earth to the bottom of the ionosphere right. runs that whole that whole area the fundamental frequency for perhaps thousands of years was around 7.5 to 7.8 hertz you're right but that level is going up right greg braden who's the author of uh i've got it here awakening to zero point the mm-hmm. collective initiation reported in 96 that it had risen as high as 11.2 hertz mm-hmm now, according to Russian scientists, it's even risen above that. So the prophecies of the, the native tribes and, the, you know, all the different peoples around the world that say there's going to be a vibratory, vibratory frequency change on Earth during this period of time seem to be correct. The North Pole is migrating right now to the degree that if it continues, it will be in Russia. <laughs> I see. Well, so we've got that going. And oh. we've got this human resonance going. And what's interesting to me is the... the uh, rising human resonance has been confirmed by NASA because their recent readings of the Earth from space show a rise in the frequency uh, hum emitted by the planet. Boy, so even NASA is verifying that our, our frequency is going up. Okay, so there we've got that. All right, hold it right there. We're at the top of the hour, Donna. Now, she is so right on in so many ways. Uh, first of all, her information is dead on the money. Um, uh, I'm getting a little more than I bargained for here. This one uh, very smart lady. And I've got a couple of words about the sun and the changing emissions from the sun and emails that I've been getting that I'll bring up uh, after the break. And we will continue with Donna Good Higby. I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast. The trip back in time continues with Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM. More somewhere in time coming up. I can feel it coming. 
Continues, courtesy of Premier Networks. And I want to lay down another big one on top of what uh, uh, Donna uh, Good Higby just said. Um, you know, it's going to be a wild night, so I'm going to lay down some wild stuff, and this is under that category. Over the past, um, I might even say year, I, I've had another series of emails that I don't think that I've ever talked to you about. Uh, but it makes sense in view of what Donna just said, which I thought, incidentally, was dead flat on the money. <laughs> you know, it's the kind of thing you disregard. Even even a, a talk show host like myself doing the kind of uh, program that I do, I you you tend to disregard some stuff. And but I feel obligated to mention this because I have had a large number of emails over the last two or three years from people who say the sun looks different I know you say what do you mean the sun looks different I'm telling you I'm getting a lot of observations from people who say the sun looks different and mo and inevitably they're going to explain that the sun looks whiter that they think that a lot of the yellow yellowish content of the of the color and I'm, I'm trying to be as specific as I can has become more white now, this got punctuated the other day. Ramona, out of the blue, said to me, Hey, hon, have you noticed the sun is whiter, is brighter, is more burning? And I said, Oh, God. You know, I really should say something about that on the show. And I, and I did notice it myself when I look now you're not supposed to look at the Sun everybody of course everybody always gives out those warnings uh, right when we have eclipses and so forth so don't go look at the Sun but under certain conditions I have and yes I have noticed it so there's another wild one to just throw out there 
and into Zululand that's going to generate a million responses. I know it is. We'll get back to Donegood Higby in a moment. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from the 23rd of May, 2002. Back now to Donna Good Higby. Did you hear what I just said about the sun? I did. I did. That fits in perfectly. Um, a helium sun, I think, might appear that way. <laughs> That's very interesting. Yeah, I know. Well, and and uh, now I'll get a million emails about it. <laughs> um, okay, so we did establish that, though, that the geomagnetics is going towards zero, and the Schumann resonance, which is the electromagnetic frequencies of the Earth, is rising. Yes. So all of that brings about a new planetary power grid, which is kind of like um, like the acupuncture points and meridians in a human body. They're the, the power points in the Earth that are connected by lines of energy. Yes. Or ley lines, I think. They're ley lines are In called. England, yeah. In 1970s, a student of Buckminster Fuller discovered that if they immersed an inflated balloon in dye while subjecting that to a fixed vibration, the dye collected at certain fixed points on the balloon, and then they were connected by these thin lines creating these geometric arrangements. Well, when they increased the frequency, the original points in the lines all disappeared, and they were all replaced by new dye points and lines of a much more complex configuration. Wow. And I think that's exactly what's happening to our planet. We're, we're like the, our Earth is like the dye points on the balloon, and it's responding to this change in frequency, and the planet's power grid is changing into a totally new structure as this uh, Schumann resonance rises. Uh, let me interrupt you for just a second, uh, Donna. I've got a man who would rather not give his name uh, in a place. I'm not even sure he wants to give the place he is. He's in uh, law enforcement, serious uh some kind of undercover law enforcement work, uh, and I just I want to bring him on and let sure. him say what he wants to say. Um, you might add this to your files, sir. Welcome to the program. Well, good morning, Art and Donna. Oh, Hi. Uh, what, let's see. What can we call you, Mister X? No, you can just call me Ron. Ron. Okay, Ron. All right, good enough. Uh, we'll use Ron. You're you have been and even currently now are in some form of undercover government work, huh? Well, currently I uh, work for the government, but uh, in the past uh, years ago I was a police officer. Okay. All right, all right. Uh, but you're currently working for the government, so obviously you don't want to give any information other than that about yourself, right? Uh, that's correct. Okay, done deal. Uh, do you have a story that relates to, to what we're talking about? Well, I used the technique for uh, invisibility uh, when I was a police officer and uh, uh, for a lot of my... Uh, Oh, just on my routine patrol, and then also when I was uh, doing a lot of undercover work. You're you're actually saying you developed a technique, a way that you could uh, at will or with some level of. Uh, how did you do it, sir? Okay, how I started out is that years ago when I was just a kid, and I came across a book one time uh, about how the ninjas, mm -hmm. you know, the, the uh, Japanese ninjas, they would have like this. Called was a cloak of invisibility, 
and were apparently their enemy couldn't see them. And I thought, oh, I could probably do that. And I used to just play around and just, uh, like, putting myself into an altered state and having, like, my friends and people not really see me. You know, they would just look right past you. And, like, years, I just kind of, like, played it, played around with it. And then years later, I got on a police department. This was on a big city. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, how can I use this on a lot of my police work? Well, I practice projecting a lot of this when all when people would be making like drug deals on the street and stuff like that and I would of course I'd be in full uniform and I would have it where they would just see me as a regular person and of course you know I would make an arrest and in other words they didn't see you as a they never saw me as a police officer they didn't see my uniform they saw me just as a regular person because that's what I was projecting to them and how do you think you did that I kind of like projected in your mind that I was just a, you know, just a, a, a customer. So, you were, you were... I was just a street person looking to buy drugs. No, I understand, but I, what, what I'm saying is you were uh, projecting this into their minds into somehow. Their mind. Into their minds. Right. That they couldn't see me, only see me as a, as a regular, like a regular person. And that really worked time after time? Uh, it surprised a lot of people that I was able to get a lot of arrests. <laughs> you had a good record then, no? I had a very good record, and had, I could never tell anybody what I was doing because it would never stand up in court. Oh, uh, no, I wouldn't recommend that on the stand. Right. And then, like, <laughs> later on, when I got into a lot of the undercover work, working in the narcotics division and organized crime division, yes, uh, I used some of it then when we were trying to go, especially in when we were going after some organized crime bosses and that. Huh. And, of course, that after I had to, like, practice this quite a lot because I didn't know how far I could push it. Uh, and your uh, your guest, Donna, mentioned that... Well, you're still here. That's a good sign. Yeah, it's a good sign. Because she did mention that you can't really get excited because it seems like it changes things. You found that to be true? Uh, yes. And I remember one case that we were working on is we were trying to get, we were trying to make arrests on a person high up in the organized crime unit, and had a uh, crime boss, more or less. And he was going to be making a payoff to for somebody to make a hit. Well, the person that they was going to supposed to be making the hit was arrested, but they didn't know it. So I said, well, look, I'll have them make the payoff to me. And I says, don't worry, you know, they all, everybody in our unit was looking at me, well, how are you going to get them to do that? I said, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. So I projected to the persons, these are mafia people, so you, you know, you had to be, Yes. you couldn't make a mistake because you'd be dead. Yeah. All right. I projected to them that I was the hitman, that they were going to make the payoff to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it worked. It worked. It was, they couldn't understand when it was going through court and that, how come they gave a police officer. Of course, I was in plain clothes and that kind of stuff. You you, had this ability all your life? A good portion of it. A good portion of it, since you did the reading of the ninja things and decided you would try. It kind of like gave me the hint that this, I didn't know if that could work at the time. And I just thought, I was a kid, I thought, well, I could probably make this work. And then I just slowly developed it from there. 
It's like I don't a, use it all the time now, but you know, once in a great while. It's almost like a telepathic hypnosis in a way. Yeah. Yes. It, it's slightly. I mean, that's wonderful if you can do that. It, it's a little bit different. What's happening to the folks that I'm investigating? But that we're talking that, about where people, other people, don't even see you. All right. Listen. That's right. That's what I. You're saying you've done that. I've done that. Yeah, okay. Sure, no problem. Listen, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your calling in, and we'll add this to the, the, the record, I'm sure. Donna will give out an email address, won't she? Mm-hmm, sure. Uh, and, and so I would, if, if you would, sir, please tell your story in detail to her, and you're going to get many other stories. So before we get too far down the line, Donna, if you really don't mind giving out your email address, prepare yourself now. I know that's fine. I'm I'm ready. Okay. Uh, it's it's Good Higby. Good. My middle name and last name run together. Spell it. G O O D H I G B like boy uh-huh. E E Good Higby at AOL dot com. Okay, that's easy. Um, let me give it again. People are gonna. I know they're reaching for pens. That's G. All in lowercase, of course. G O O D, good, and then Higby, all run together. H I G B E E at AOL dot com. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, prepare thyself. Uh, now that may not be. He did say, in fact, that he has achieved real invisibility, but also added that he could project uh, into people to see something that was not. Yeah, you, know, you know, like a police uniform, that's pretty stark. <laughs> that's a different category in a way. I think that falls more into the category that I'll address where uh, we talk about the cloud and we're talking about intent and oh, desire yeah. as being the motivating factors to okay, do it. Okay, stop. Uh, I want to talk about the cloud. The last time we did this, I got all these fast blasts about the cloud, and I... Would you explain that, please? Okay, well, the cloud has been referred to in literature for for ages. Uh, it's said that the Catholic saints through the ages have been able to levitate and disappear into these mists or clouds, and Jewish literature mentions Moses disappearing in clouds that form around him, and folklore talks about clouds. Uh, the Mayan Indians say that their wise men were able to surround themselves with clouds. So this has been... This is something that's been going on for a great long time. It's, mm. it's a different phenomenon than HSII. Um, I believe that the cloud is, well, let me back up just a bit. Um, these people use their minds, they use their intent and their desire to be unseen, and that desire alone pulls to them, um, shall we say, well, it's not, it's it's a kind of matter, but it's a, it's above matter. In my paper, I wrote electrons. That's not really quite accurate. It's it's a kind of an energy even above that. I think we would have to call it more like spiritual energy. It's between absolutely pure spirit and the first inkling of matter as spirit descends into matter, right before you pick up electrons with their negative charges and start looking at the things that we say are components that make up the atoms that make up matter. This is just above that, a more rarefied energy. And I think that it is subject to focused willpower and intent and emotion. And I believe that uh, if I'm looking at literature in the past, these people have pulled to them these kinds of clouds. Now, I don't think the cloud hides the person. 
I think what the cloud does coming um, as a higher frequency, it changes that person's frequency. So there is a relationship. There's a relationship in that the end... I mean, we're, we're talking about uh, the, the vi- result, vibra- vibratory levels in both cases. Yeah, the end result of this way is that you are unseen. But it's something that you do, or the shaman does, or the whomever does purposely with intent to be unseen. Mm-hmm. So that, they, you know... Um, Gurus in India can do this. I mean, they're doing it these days. I mean, this kind of a thing, I think, has been recorded and, and documented for a great long time. Now, what's happening to the people that I'm working with, they are not using their willpower or intent to do this. This is happening to them completely, spontaneously, um, out of the blue. They don't want it. They don't know what's going on. It's not really the same phenomenon the end result looks the same, but I believe it has a different cause as we go through this. Are you aware of the multitude of stories about uh, about uh, military people in uh, close quarters battle using invisibility? Yeah. Oh, you are aware of them? Some of them. Some of them. I have... Uh, uh, I've got a report here. Well, of course, some of them use invisibility, and then I have... Uh, one newsletter that came from Spain that said during the War of the Spanish Succession, 1700 to 1713, in the year of 1707, 4,000 soldiers of the Archduke of Australia disappeared without a trace by a brook in the Pyrenees. Wow. It said no enemy was in the vicinity and no corpses or military equipment were left there. Indeed, there was no trace of them. And it's a whole newsletter that tells about the different ones. There was a uh, a train accident in Spain. It said the number of passengers was around 800, of whom 78 died and 75 were injured. A great number of the passengers, however, disappeared without a trace. As a proof of this, the reporter who wrote this article says he refers to the utter disappearance of the pair of civil guards that always went with the train, of whom not even the guns they carried were found. Holy mackerel! And and it's a whole newsletter of those kinds of disappearances Donna, around how, the world. How, how does how do these sorts of stories uh, get into newsletters and not the mainstream media? What, uh, oh. I, I mean, when you're talking about entire portions of armies, for example, I, I think they were probably recorded in journals and diaries in those days, and then they probably are recorded in books. People who've done the research who then put them in books so that they're available. And then a newsletter maybe that wants to delve into more truthful items will, will pull them out of books and put them in newsletters. But Well, I'm extremely impressed with your research. You've obviously really done your research. Well, I've been trying to go in many directions and pick up bits and pieces here, there, and the next place that might put part of this puzzle together for me. And I do. I Like, I'm I'm sitting here... On the floor, surrounded with data. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you've already convinced me, believe me, that you are a Class A researcher. And, um, and that, that's really high marks. Uh, I don't grade very often. Class A. All the way. Um, as I listen to her, she's got it nailed in, in every direction, nearly as I can tell. So, extremely interesting stuff uh, regarding the resonance of the Earth regarding the magnetic changes that we all observed 
strange stories. Yeah, we get them here, only they turn out to be true. I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast. The trip back in time continues with Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM. More Somewhere in Time coming up. Works presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from May 23rd, 2002. And this is one lady who's really got her act together, Donna Good Higby. Uh, what a find. She's obviously uh, done a lot of very deep research, so deep, uh, and has begun to reach so many conclusions about all of this, that I wonder if she's considered uh, inviting some scientific colleagues uh, in on the you know the whole thing here uh, this should probably be broadened out this whole area of investigation with regard to invisibility should be broadened there's something to be found here and uh, perhaps uh, some top flight scientist would like to jump on board that's a question we'll ask in a moment You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from the 23rd of May, 2002. Uh, John in San Antonio, Texas. Uh makes an interesting observation. He says, Art, I hope this stuff isn't true. Can you imagine an invisible terrorist? <laughs> and, you know, I thought for a moment, and then I thought maybe it's already happening. In other words, uh, there are so many successful homicide bombings uh, going on and so many successful terrorist acts going on that how the hell do we know it isn't happening 
right now? How do we know that a terrorist like a police officer, you know, in mortal, uh, if not fear, because they're, they're, you know, they're on a mission, but with such incredible dedication and concentration, is not, in effect, able to achieve some sort of state that means they don't get caught and they kill people? It's a frightening thought. Yeah, it is. It is a frightening I'm, thought, I'm isn't it? Not saying that it couldn't happen. It uh, again with with I really believe the emotions of, of will and intent focused for a particular uh, purpose. Well, that's direction. what they. That's what they have. Exactly. Exactly. But um, listen, yeah, uh, but, I, I want to ask something, Donna. This okay. is really important. Uh, you know, what you're doing, I think, your research is solid. Uh, your conclusions even, I believe, to be solid. And it's so serious. I mean, uh, so many other areas of the, we'll put it in a big gray basket, paranormal, are investigated by major universities, right. uh, Princeton, Harvard. Um, isn't it probably important for you shortly to find somebody uh, at a major university who will join you in this study? Oh, I would welcome it. Would you? I would definitely welcome it. Um, let me just proceed with my next little bit of information, because I think it might partly answer what you're saying right now. Fire away. Um, just to back up for people who've just popped in, we've, we've talked about <laughs> geomagnetic levels falling, electromagnetic frequencies rising, mm -hmm. and, there's, and then the um, planetary grid is definitely changing and becoming more powerful, higher frequency. There's one more little piece to stick in the mix here, okay. and that would be the human brave wave, brain wave frequencies. Mm -hmm. um, just follow this. You've got your beta waves, 14 to 30. That's our normal active everyday type awareness. You've got alpha waves, 18 to 13 hertz, mm -hmm. which is your meditation and relaxation. Mm -hmm. And then your dreamy creative states, were the theta waves, 4 to 7 hertz. Well, okay, if you've got the Schumann resonance, the electromagnetic frequencies rising, they're coming closer to where we might be in more of a relaxed, uh, normal, uh, not an active everyday state, but more of a content kind of peaceful state. They're coming closer to that. That's interesting. And some work was done at the HeartMath Institute, Northern California. They did a number of experiments. And they discovered that when a person's brain waves approaches the level of the Schumann resonance of Earth, that a, a locking of the frequency occurs. Let, of, let, let, me be, let, let me be clear about something. Is it the brain approaching the Schumann resonance, or did you mean to say the Schumann resonance probably approaching the... A specific no. area of the brain that we're talking no. about. No, well, it's the brain waves, and, and in their studies, at least, they took someone who was an adept meditator, and they put electrodes on him so they could monitor everything. This was done totally scientifically. Right. They put huge coils in the earth so they could uh, measure the electromagnetic levels, and then they asked the meditator to please begin lowering his brainwave activity through his meditative process and what it was so fascinating because what they found was when the person came to, to it was two-way street first of all when the person approached the level of the Schumann resonance his brainwaves kind of jumped when he was fairly close they kind of jumped and locked in uh -huh. with the Schumann resonance and there was what they call an entraining going on they were just locked together 
And at that point, the person really experienced kind of a oneness with everything. They talked about feeling one with nature, one with God, just this wonderful state. Sounds very Native Americanish. Very nice. Okay, so they found that that actually took place. But then they took the same man, took him out to an area where there had been a good lightning storm, which throws that electromagnetic levels out of balance, mm. put the same old coil in the ground, put the electrodes on the man, and um, uh, br- brought him down into the level where the Schumann resonance should have been because it was out of whack now with the storm. Gotcha. And the actual Schumann resonance jumped to the level of the man <laughs> and locked in. Really? So we influence the earth. The earth influences, influences us. us. It's a two-way street. But the, what's the interesting here is, um, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, you point out that the, the man was able to actually uh, change his frequency, fine. But if the Schumann resonance frequency changes and goes above a certain bar, then the thinking of the entire world could be suddenly modified, couldn't it? It could be changed if people lock into that, yes. Well, if it, yeah, mean, but if, if Schumann comes up to the point... Oh, if it does, yes. Yes, for sure, because once it reaches the level of the person or the person in a calm state reaches the level where it is at that point, uh-huh. there will be that entrainment and there will be a much more of a oneness kind of thing. Well, that that in itself is really great, but the piece that I love, I just get so excited, I can hardly sit here... Um, when they, when the meditator and the Schumann resonance, the earth of that local area, were entrained, HeartMath Institute had taken some DNA from this man. They had it a distance away in a solution in a Petri dish under a microscope. Now, when the meditator entrained with the earth, and if he was able to experience the oneness and go into what he called planetary love, um, Compassion, gratefulness, just this wonderful—whatever. Yeah, the, but, so but very I, positive what, emotions. The so, DNA actually began to unravel and rebraid at a higher structure, which would indicate more information coming in and higher consciousness. Oh my God! And, and, and that's and, proved. In, in what way is that documented? That's um, documented through the HeartMath Institute in Northern California. I don't know the exact city, just offhand. But so the the man I believe the own... man that did its name was Dr. Ryan, but again I have to uh, go back uh, okay, through my notes. Okay. I'm just okay, doing but, this out because I get so excited. I have to tell you. Okay, but but no question about it. You're saying separate from the man, his his DNA in a in a petri dish or whatever, right? Under observation, yes. When he reached this state, began to disassemble itself. Yeah, and... not just reaching entrainment, but when he reached entrainment, and at that state then began to go into a loving, compassionate state, his very being began to evolve. Well, you realize now you're really brushing up against the whole non-locality thing. Oh, I know. But the thing is, if if the Schumann resonance is rising, and it is... But I'm talking about the DNA connection. That's, that's, That's amazing. Well, yeah, it's amazing, all right. And as I say, it's... uh, it's brushing right up against another area being talked about right now. Which is? Um, well, 
You mean just the whole evolution of, uh, of the of people? Of no, I'm talking about non-locality, mm-hmm. uh, Donna. Mm-hmm. That, that uh, um, remote viewers, oh, that, yes. um, many others talk of, even many um, uh, theoretical physicists right now are beginning to talk a whole lot about a non-locality in which everything is one. Yep. All information is contained perhaps information that even reaches into other dimensions that right. that that everything is uh, non-local and everything is connected is being talked about all over the place right now and that's what you're brushing up against right well this is what they found you know and they and I'm just wondering and my feeling is that for those people who because the Schumann resonance is rising and they are in training there's a lot more people out there that will find themselves in that entrained state, and if at the same time they are the type of people to feel very, very loving towards their fellow people and very grateful for their life, etc., those will be the very people that evolve, that that go through this DNA change and and begin to evolve. And the more you evolve, the more your frequency would rise because your chakras, your your energy system of the body would be able to bring in the higher frequencies and process them, and you mm-hmm. would be evolving. Mm-hmm. And in the shift of those frequencies, as your body is undergoing this, I'm just thinking that probably what we might be seeing are some of these shifting frequencies in these people that are experiencing bouts of HSII as they're undergoing some of this evolution. <laughs> um would you care to speculate on where you think it's headed and how quickly it's headed there? Oh, <laughs> yes. Well, there are. I've read a lot of different theories. There's one good theory. I like it. It's a theory I don't know, but uh, that says the Earth is forming a parallel reality, kind of like the aura around our own bodies. Yes. And the Earth is beginning to transition in a dimensional shift upwards into that parallel reality. So eventually, we could find two realities. We could have the one that remains basically on a lower frequency and will be uh, home to those people who cannot transition due to their emotional state of, of fear and hatred and anger and judgmental attitudes. And that kind of dimensional Earth would remain in a lower frequency because it would be in training with the humans at that level and just... I'd probably be in that group, Donna. No, I doubt it. (laughs) Anyway, those who continue to hold those lower negative emotions would hold that earth reality back from rising. And then you'd have those who are moving into the higher frequency and find that that eventually they exist in kind of a higher dimensional earth. They have um, entrained with that earth's higher frequencies, held the more positive emotions of love and and, and compassion and literally restructured their DNA to allow for the higher consciousness. And then they, um, well, the I... higher they go, the more that helps this alternate Earth to rise because yeah. of the entrainment, and the Earth and the human just grow together. Well, might I add that uh, it damn well better happen pretty soon because <laughs> the present state of the world uh, tells me that not a whole lot of people are in sync with Schumann at all. Uh, we're we're in a mess, Donna. We're in a yeah. serious, really serious mess. Yeah. The world is an extremely dangerous place uh, today, and uh, I have views that probably would cause people to say, "I'm definitely going to stay in that lower group you were talking about," because people are trying to kill us right now, Donna. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to go and kill them first and hard and fast. 
and so see, I'm I'm not transcendent. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, you're looking at the the rea- one reality of of the world here. What's happening? I am looking at yeah. reality. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I I don't know. I mean, if you take... well, I think there's two overlapping realities happening here. I think there's the very one that, that you and I are now talking about the 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 terrorism the the hatred and all the really awful things that are the going environmental on here. degradation all, all of that. things are awful that's a whole reality but there are those people out there who are really changing um, at least I run into some maybe not a huge number but uh, there are those who are attempting to grow in in their consciousness and attempting to really love other people and mm. You know, making that a real attempt, and so I think if if we can just get enough of those, 100th monkey kind of thing, if we yes. can just get enough of those people, and in fact, if people go on the Internet, and I don't know the exact address, but if they look up the HeartMath um, Project, I believe it is, or the Heart Project of the HeartMath Institute, yes, it will tell of a project that they're doing where they are trying to get people to do a meditation and to envision the planet in this more of a compassionate type of frame of mind. Oh, now, now, now you're into yet another area. And um, I, if you're listening to the show, you know the experiments I've done over the years. <laughs> do you? A few, yes. Do you? Uh, you know about them? Uh, well, I've heard about them. I'm, most of the time, I have to admit, I have to go to bed because okay. I have to get up so darn early. All right. Well, you know, I don't want to run through the whole litany, but we were able on several occasions to do all kinds of interesting things like make rain where there was none, Mm -hmm. Uh, millions of minds concentrating. And then there was the whole Princeton recent thing with the the computers they have and the what are called eggs scattered around the world, uh, spitting out random numbers, just computers, and then the mass mind affecting those computers. They're documenting it uh, uh, Donna, with things uh, like graphs uh, at at the butt end of this line of computers, just suddenly going right off the chart into uh, uh, the ozone. I mean, just right, right uh, incredible experiments, Donna. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that at all. I don't doubt that at all. If, if we believe um, the Montauk story, where they did mind control. You know, Project Montauk, Montauk, New York, uh, went 1970 to 1983. Yes, I know about and, it. Yeah, and they, they worked on mind control techniques, and they really discovered how to use uh, their mind to, to do many things. And um, I believe a gentleman named um, uh, Cameron, uh, Duncan Cameron, was, was one of their prime people who was adept at, at using his mind to do different things. And... Again, if all of that is true, all of what's reported is true, uh, he was able to actually materialize out of nothingness uh, different things that people wanted on the base where this was happening, the base at Montauk. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad Steiger, uh, no, not Brad, or maybe it was Brad, or either that or, or um, Moon and Nichols wrote about um, the techniques and the uh, I have some experiments. Res- yeah, I have, some reserva- I have some reservations about Montauk. Uh, yeah, and, and I don't know. I'm, that's why I'm saying if it's all true and if, you know, but... Uh, I know they worked on it. That's for damn sure. Mm-hmm. Whether uh, all the stories are true or not, I don't know. Yes, and I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I do believe the mind is totally unlimited if we could just really open it up to the level that it really is. And in that, 
capacity, I don't see why we could not create. You know, we're all linked together. We're all linked with source. We're we're like Indra's net. We're all linked together with um, the frequency and spirit. Why couldn't we create fantastic things? Just fantastic things on I'm, the planet I, if people would do it. I'm not sure that uh, if we couldn't. I think we probably could that you know and that's that's as a result of my own experiments i've done oh gosh they were serious uh donna yeah, yeah. and so i i think it might be true what i've run up against is that we don't exactly know what the hell we're doing in other words i began as these experiments succeeded i mean i i drove the graph uh, charts right off the graph uh uh, Dean Radin uh, supplied the graph. We we did it uh, just to see if we could do it uh, after so many other experiments, and it worked. And so, I'm a little hesitant, Donna, um, a little reticent because this is an incredible power, and it might be that it's like toying around with Mother Nature, and if you reach out to do something, y- y- it might have an uninten- unintended. Uh, consequence Mm -hmm. it's such an incredibly strong power that i'm now really reticent to use it hardly ever use it yeah i think it's in each of us though i think the ability is there deep inside whether or not it's unlocked or not and it is a frightening thing yes you you toy with the weather for example and and how do you know what you're going to do you might try to turn a hurricane it was suggested that we try and turn a hurricane but an unintended consequence could be it would stay out over water, grow to a Category 5, and kill thousands of people. You know, you just, it's its such a weird area that I think we need more understanding before we sort of plunge ahead and just start affecting the world. Can you hold? Oh, of course. All right, good. Stay right there. Donna Good Higby is my guest. Absolutely riveting stuff right on the edge. It's kind of like where I like it right on the edge you're listening to art bell somewhere in time tonight featuring coast to coast am from the 23rd of may 2002 
You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from the 23rd of May, 2002. Good morning from the high desert. This is Coast to Coast AM with Donna Good Higby. Where else would you hear a whole show on the subject of invisibility? Somewhere in Time with Art Bell continues courtesy of Premier Networks. Once again, Donna Good Higby, and uh, we're going to go this hour uh, to the phones to some degree. Uh, welcome back, Donna. Is there anything major that you uh, wanted to get in tonight, you know, with free airtime, just before we go to the telephones, uh, that's really important? Um, not anything that we haven't at least covered. Uh, I still had some interesting letters, some with multiple witnesses, but... Uh, Maybe they can be saved for email correspondence with people who are interested, too. Actually, 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 Donna, I would be rather interested in any example you've got involving multiple witnesses. Okay. Let me find the good one that I like. Well, there's a whole bunch. This is the you know, for one. obvious reasons. I mean, there's... First one I grabbed, yeah. This is from a woman named Kay. She says... Uh, even at work, I've had these experiences. She's proceeded to say in restaurants and places like that. And then she says, even at work, all my staff walk by my office constantly, especially when they arrive for work in the morning. I have the largest office with huge panes of glass from floor to ceiling. One morning, everyone thought I wasn't there. I was sitting in my usual place in front of the PC against the glass. Hmm. And nobody could see her. And here's a gentleman, well, I like that he said, I just saw your website, and I'm so happy to hear that other people are having similar experiences. He said, I, in the early 1980s, I was the manager of a large tax department in my company. My office was the corner office in an office building. My secretary sat at a desk right outside in a position where she could always see me come and go. Uh, people frequently stood outside my door waiting to talk with me or talk with my secretary. One day I left my office for a short meeting, told my secretary I'd be back in a little bit. She said, okay, and I left. Several minutes later, I came back to my office, walking slowly as I looked some material over from the meeting. As I entered the anteroom entrance to my office, there was a group of four people who were standing in front of my office door talking. I stood for a few moments, looking at the material in my hand, thinking that perhaps the group was waiting for me. Uh, no one said anything or acknowledged me, so I assumed they were just having a discussion about an issue and were not waiting for me. Right. I excused myself, walked between them and my secretary, who was looking straight ahead at the group. I smiled at the secretary, but she acted like she didn't see me. I walked into huh. my office, left the door open, and sat at my desk to read the material from the meeting. The group continued to stand outside my office talking. About five minutes later, my telephone rang, and I heard my secretary answer the phone and tell someone I was away from my office. So I walked to the door and looked out at her. She looked at me, jumped out of her seat, and said, How did you get in the office? I've been waiting for you, looking for you. How long have you been there? How did you do that? She was visibly shaken and turning pale. The other people standing outside my office turned and looked at me in disbelief, their eyes and mouths wide open. They said they had needed to meet with me about an emergency issue and were anxiously waiting for me to return. Wow. My secretary was so shaken by the experience that an hour later her, st her hands were still trembling. And he goes on and he says that there's, uh, he's had other experiences like that. 
That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's going on, and we, and it need, is, and and we need to know so much more about it. That's true. That's uh, true. All right, let's go to the phone lines and see what's out there. It should be really interesting. <laughs> it should be, yeah. Uh, all right, here we go. First time caller line, you're on the air with Donna Goodhigby. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, Donna, amazing knowledge you're speaking of. And I was wondering... Uh, and this kind of ties in with with what Art was saying about the you know the mass brain consciousness and and uh, these these cycles of violence that are just absolutely spinning out of control and and you know uh, uh, an ideology that you can actually kill them all before they will kill you all and and it's just this absolute logic loop that's just it's it seems insane to me that people would believe this. Now I'm wondering these folks that are experiencing this. Do you know if uh, have they have they come to these same conclusions? Or uh, meaning, are they peaceful? Or are these uh, at times violent people? Or no. is, this, uh, is this phenomenon somehow associated with like a uh, a Christ consciousness? Well, you're asking some big questions. <laughs> uh, the people that have contacted me, out of all of the letters that I've gotten, and I think I said earlier, there's something like 1,400 of them so far. Uh, I've only had two reports from people who said that they had had run-ins with the police and had had this experience while they were... Uh, one was trying to steal clothes in a department store for the fun of it with friends, more of a, a kind of a high school prank rather than being a real heavy criminal. Right. Uh, the whole group was caught and taken to the police department. Everyone was checked out and detained except this one woman. No one saw her. No one asked for her ID. No one even talked with her at all. She finally got up from the group, walked past the guards, and, and left. And later, when she talked with her friends, uh, they thought she hadn't even been caught. She walked right out of the police station. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. And even the friends didn't rem remember her being in the police van when it had taken them all away. <laughs> and then there was a gentleman, um, first names only, of course, Daniel, uh, said that he was with a group of people who were popping firecrackers. Now, that doesn't sound terribly violent to me either. Uh, again, the police came. There were 12 of us, he says. The cops asked everyone to get their IDs ready. I was scared. I'm reading this now. I was scared. I remember thinking I didn't want to be there. I was sweating. The cop handed each person back their ID as he passed down the line. Then he would take the ID of the next person and call it in. Um, I was the last person in line. I was also the largest person there. I was even larger than the policeman. The cop never even acted like he saw me, never asked for my ID. Wow. Neither of the two cops paid any attention to me. All of my friends thought I had left. Many asked me afterwards where I went to hide. I told all of them that I was there. No one would believe me. Now, those are the only two that I've had that talk about any kind of crime, and I, all I right, don't but, but think All right, but again, will and intention. Mm -hmm. and, and something prop, something else, probably. Will and intention, and then some force we don't totally understand, understand yet. yet. Right. Right? Right. I would agree with you. And so there is where you and somebody at a major academic entity somewhere in this country need to get together. This is serious enough that I think it deserves uh, a real downtown uh, investigation and you sure have it was so that's the bar I think you've taken this to um, pretty much I, I got let me just put in here because I think it's very interesting I got one email I think it was just in the last day or two I've had so many uh, from someone informing me that I should get a hold of the police department in Orlando Florida 
and ask them about the case that they have of um, a man who uh, is a criminal in Orlando who has this ability uh, to disappear on them. I guess the entire police force knows this person. Oh. And um, they said I should get a hold of them, and anybody there could tell me because they certainly know who this man is, and he can he can seemingly disappear when they're um, on the chase. <laughs> so that, you know, there's um, a criminal mind type for you, but again, we don't know how serious his crimes are. A couple questions, uh, Donna, uh, sort of jumping around. Um, any correspondence from anybody apparently in this state with the opportunity to see a mirror? Oh, yes, I've had a number of those. Really? Uh, yes. Um, people, again, it's interesting because I've had about four or five lately. They all were saying that they were in a meditative state purposely. Yes. One woman was sitting on her bed meditating. Uh, her daughter came in. She glanced up. She could see herself in the mirror and see the daughter come in. Now, the daughter came in, could not see the mother, could not see anything in the mirror. Not that wow. she specifically stared in the mirror, but it was right at a good angle. Okay, and you know, that would mean then that the mirror is returning the, same the higher frequencies, yes. right? Yes, and I've, had, I've heard that a number of cases, uh, a number of huh. times, to think that that does seem to be the pattern. The person can see themselves, but no one else can see them. That would make sense. Yeah, it the would. Mirror, the mirror could certainly be returning much higher frequencies, and so you simply wouldn't be out of range yourself. You'd just be out of range of the other person. The other one, yes. Well, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, wild card line, you're on the air with uh, Adonai uh, Good Higby. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, I'm, I'm Paul. Hi, Donna. Uh, um, astrologically, I was thinking um, uh, about how... Uh, the idea of matter and not being able to be seen, um, like possibly. Rest of the Rockies call toll free one eight hundred six one eight eight two five five. Like Bigfoot, for example, can sort of disappear into the cloud. I think you know, he's an other dimensional being. Or, 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 or our matter and spiritual and their part in their evolution. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? As you know, there's there's. No voice. Let's say if you're talking visual language, you know that's how I perceive it. Um, people being able to dis, you know, disappear, whatever you want to call. It. Like say, for instance, all we know is our own language. Like uh, you're not going to eat that, are you? Or are you going to eat that? I mean, you can get any response you want because that's what we know. But visually, within a realm of people who are only used to to voice, visually you can conduct anything you want. I, I would think. You know, whether it's yourself or how you want them to perceive you, you know. Well, uh, are they, do, you th do you think, Donna, they're tied together? Uh, those who are able to be unseen, virtually invisible, and those who are able to project uh, an image into another's mind, there's got to be a connection there somewhere, huh? Uh, I do believe there are those people that can project, as we said earlier, but again, their basic motive is intention and will to do so yep and the, the the people that are contacting me are very upset if anything thinking they're going crazy their last thing they're doing is willing this to happen or wishing to be invisible uh, there's a, a few you know like maybe these uh, people at the police department that want to not be there and would like not to be seen and then it somehow happens and i think they are causing that 
But most of my cases, almost all of them, with the exception of just a few like that, this is happening as my little blurb Spon- spontaneously and involuntarily. Yeah, but wouldn't that be the case if, uh, if all of this is true? If, I mean, if everything we're talking about is true, at least people uh, able to become invisible. If that's really true, then that would be an innate human ability uh, that we have not, that obviously we haven't really explored except for the yogis and, you know, whoever all. That's true. That type of person. Uh, It would be a great unknown. So it would tend to occur spontaneously and uh, almost without the person. That doesn't mean that people couldn't train themselves to use this if if they knew how. I agree. I think they could. If they knew it existed and they knew how. Now, if you go way back into, like, Patanjali with Yoga Sutras and things of that nature, there were instructions. Patanjali gave instructions in those how to become invisible. Mm. Um, The Rosicrucians have manuals, how to walk invisible among men. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are manuals out there, and there are people who I think have done the training and and can do it. I, I don't think that that's an impossibility at all. I wonder how many people actively understand the process and uh, actually are in control of it when they need to be. It's not something you'd talk about. That's for damn sure. You just wouldn't talk about it, uh, or you probably wouldn't, you know, unless you were enticed to call a program like this. Otherwise, (laughs) you're not going to talk about this. You might use it in, in various ways, and I wonder how many people are out there walking around able to do that. Donna? I don't know. It would be very interesting to find out. Well, maybe we're talking to enough people right now that we will. We'll hear some. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Again, uh, Donna's email address, because I know uh, you're going to be writing to her, is goodhigby. That's all in lower case letters. Just write this down. G-O-O-D-H-I-G-B-E-E. Goodhigby at AOL.com. That's her address. And we obviously need to learn a lot more. And so talking to this many people, I think we can uh, pull enough stories together to jumpstart your research from wherever it is right now. And it's already pretty far down the road. Um, East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Donna. Hello. Hello? Yes, hello. Oh, good. I'm glad. Thank you. This is uh, Richard calling from Lynn, Massachusetts, WRKO. Yes, sir. And uh, I have a fill-in for information that I've never heard anywhere from anyone, and I would like to ask a special favor of Donna or uh, Hardbell or both. I'd like to go offline and give my telephone number to them both. No, you can't do it because... When they have time, they can call me. I'll gladly give them the information. It's not a a, a long story or anything else, but it does clear up a a misunderstanding. All right, all right. I think I can put you on hold maybe here at the bottom of the hour and do that. Okay, go ahead, sir. Go ahead? Yeah, go ahead. Is that all you want? Well, I just would like to leave my number. So I, I understood you. that. Uh, I can put you on hold and do it during the break. Is there anything you want to ask, Donna, while you're on the air? Uh, I'd like to also explain where this universe came from, which the scientists still don't understand, how the fire walkers work, and it's a, a definite, identical, uh, honest uh, understanding of how it works. So you're saying it's all mental? That's correct, absolutely, but I'm telling you, I want to explain why and how it's mental. All right, uh, I'll put you on hold, and uh, 
we'll we'll get in contact with you. I appreciate the call, uh, but it sounds like a pretty wide area west of the Rockies. You're on the air with Donna Good Higby. Hello. Uh, hello. This is Michael calling from San Jose, and I listen to you on KSFO Radio. Of course, yes, in San Francisco. Right. And uh, allow me to play uh, something of a devil's advocate, although I do believe in the invisibility invisibility Go ahead. Uh, things that have taken place. Go ahead. Uh, my, uh, one of, I, uh, there is the voluntary and the involuntary, and speaking strictly of the involuntary, uh, the first thing that struck me when I first heard you talk about this, Art, was that it seemed to me that there was something lacking within these people that were involuntarily uh, not being perceived by others. And I thought that it was uh, a lack of part of their soul essence or spirituality, which is why they were not being perceived. Because when you get charismatic people that walk into a room, even when they are not seen, they are felt. Uh, great uh, pe- people that are in tune with the, uh, with the universe and uh, communicate extremely well with animals, you feel their essence as well. Uh, and, yeah, you can feel somebody in a room, that's right. And But yet with these people, even with their loved ones, they're not felt. They are not perceived on any level whatsoever. And that uh, leads me to think that there is something missing there. There is something that has either been drawn away, taken, stolen, or whatever. Which causes that? Which causes that effect? So you're you've got a very different theory about why it's happening than does Donna. Yeah, uh, yeah. At least for the involuntaries. Okay, you realize the involuntary only lasts usually from ten to twenty minutes, and then they're back. Uh, caller and Donna, hold on, hold on. Um, very very interesting. Human invisibility. What do you think? There's so much we don't know about all of this, but we're finding out what's known tonight. This is Premier Networks. That was Art Bell hosting Coast to Coast AM on this Somewhere in Time.
Somewhere in time. Donna Good Higby is my guest, and I understand that what you're hearing this morning is as far out on the edge as you can nearly be. However, what we're talking about is grounded in uh, in connected logic that's almost irrefutable. Now that's what I would say about all of this. We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from the 23rd of May, 2002. Once again, here's Donna Good Higby, and our caller is still on the line. Uh, caller, is there anything anywhere else you wanted to go here? Uh, yeah, I'd like to uh, throw a couple more things out that I would like for you to uh, ponder or perhaps con- uh, comment on. Far away. Okay. Uh, I would uh, like for uh, both of you, uh, when you have the opportunity, to look into people that have had near-death experiences and have been aware of nothing. And uh, there, there, well, there are many. Uh, there, there are legion. There's many more that have had nothing than have had uh, NDEs, sir. That's so. I, I mean, well, yeah, I had nothing. No, but I, but I, but uh, I would like to know how many of those that had nothing have had uh, the invisibility experience involuntarily. Oh, I, I see. You see where I'm going? <laughs> yes. In other words, some missing uh, uh, important section of the soul uh-huh. uh, would be a common feature in both. Yes. Right. <laughs> okay. And I'll when they you. and when they don't, and uh, that is why they do perceive nothing because they have something lacking. Uh, well, one might argue there's a lot of soulless people walking around out there. <laughs> well, <laughs> that is true. And uh, one more thing, uh, I, heard I, I that, your, your whole scenario is very depressing, though. Uh, I'm I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Uh, but and there's one more thing that I would uh, look like to throw out because I heard this when I was driving uh, home my car from work, and it was uh, George Nuri who was the host, where he had a guest that uh, did mention that the Greys were soul eaters. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> right there. So now I think we are to imagine that those are, uh, who are having these problems uh, have had at least some portion of their soul uh, ingested by a gray. Yikes. Uh, I prefer to follow your scenario, Donna, yeah. uh, with regard to vibrational level. I, I think that's what it is. I, I really do. I don't think there's anything missing. In fact, if, if anything, I've... For those that I've, I've thoroughly researched, I've found them more intelligent, um, more grounded, able to handle the world, 
definitely not the uh, good soulful people you'd call them. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I think so. Um, <laughs> that was a wild one. That uh, really was. Do you remember when I mentioned earlier about um, the one coming out of Africa? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, there was a government deputy minister in the uh, present Zimbabwe government who told once that he and two companions were lost on a mountain near their home. What I found interesting is he said they wandered aimlessly for three days without feeling tired or hungry. They were in a state of confusion, for although they could see the people who were search searching the mountain for them, they themselves could not be seen. They shouted and waved their arms above their heads to attract their attention, but to no, no avail. And then there's a quote from the deputy minister. He says, people passed us by as though we were invisible. <laughs> of course, so, uh, you mentioned the deputy minister. Uh, I'm, I'm getting real frequent emails from uh, deputy ministers and kings and princes who are anxious to send, oh, geez, up to 80 to $100 million to my account. Uh, there's just this little hitch, and that is that, of course, uh, it, it's coming. It's complete fraud. The whole thing's a big fraud coming out of Africa, and everybody's getting spam email. We're going to send you $80 million. Of course, you got to put up whatever it is, number of dollars, to get the whole process started, but you're right. going to make millions, and it all comes out of Africa. Right, yeah, I, I've heard that too. That's, that's really sad. I hope nobody buys it. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I wonder about that. Yeah. Uh, maybe they think they're invisible. First time caller line, you're on the air with Donna. Hi. Hi. Uh, Art, I emailed both of you guys a picture that uh, I had heard your show a few weeks back when you were talking about invisibility, and I yes. remembered this picture, and I went and had it scanned and uh, emailed it to you. But uh, what was happening was that I was... I teach and play West African drums, and I was at a party and I was playing some drums. And uh, what was interesting was before I started playing, they were asking me about my uh, meditative art. I also practice a, a Taoist uh, meditative art. And a week after the party, uh, my friend called me and said, you got to take a look at these pictures. And she showed me a picture of me as I was walking across the room. I had taken a break, and I was walking back towards my friends who were still playing, right. and you could see through me. You could see through my head. You could see through uh, my legs. Uh, you uh, could uh. see through out the window and the lamp behind me. And uh, you're, you're telling me you were in between states when they caught this? I, I don't know what I was. Uh, I wasn't conscious of anything going on with me. As far as I knew, everybody could see me. Um, All right, well, this brings up a gigantic question donna and that that is with regard to cameras video cameras i too uh, have had on the website for example um if I, we, we think it was from japan or china uh, but it was in a parking garage uh, a security camera caught a picture of this woman walking across an area and disappearing straight into a wall now that I know about. I wonder, is there other photographic evidence? This man claims he just sent us one, right, sir? Yes, I did. Okay. Is there any other uh, uh, photographic evidence that you've gathered in your research like what is on the way to us right now? Uh, well, I know Bud Hopkins has uh, several photos that were taken of an Australian family um, when they were visiting the playground in Queensland, and... They took pictures of the family members, each other took their pictures and whatever, and when the pictures were um, processed, 
everything's there, the, the shore, the playground, the playground equipment, everything's there but the people. There's no people in those photos, and I know he has those. And um, then I have yet to get it, but I have heard from a gentleman named Sam who said that uh, he and three friends were uh, raised in really poor families. They were very hungry, and they had oftentimes gone into local supermarkets just to put food in their coats, not big uh, items, just food and, and make a getaway. Well, they returned to one place they had been before, and unbeknownst to them, there were secure, uh, security cameras in place. And very soon they heard the uh, police sirens coming up, and uh, they quit, put everything back on the shelf. But um, the owner said, oh, you can't get away. I've got you right here on film. And the owner and the film and the boys all went down to the police station, and they popped the film in. And there, all the boys were but one, and they had all been standing right beside each other grabbing things. One boy was completely unfilmed the entire time, and they had to release him. Huh. So he just, you know, wasn't uh, wasn't there. Um, and then huh. there's a gal named Julie who said that she has an awful lot of problems with electronic doors when she tries to go into a grocery store or a business that has an electronic door. And this isn't all the time because you have to realize this um, phenomenon doesn't happen all the time. It kind of selectively just chooses a time when you don't know when it's going to happen. Pops in and out. But, but, you know, again, I would say, Donna, that if it's in innate human ability that we just don't uh, train ourselves to and don't know about and therefore don't use, it, we don't would, pay attention. it, it yeah. would occur this way yeah. randomly. It, right. it would just, it was, you know, every now and then it would just sort of, you'd stumble into it. That's true. It could be a very deep-seated ability in us and we just <sighs> haven't used it for heaven knows how long and um, don't even remember that we have the ability to use this. You know, and then I think probably a lot of the listeners will know about the researcher Katerina Wilson. Uh, she's written Alien Jigsaw and a few other books. Um, she wrote me a letter, and I even believe this is posted on the net someplace, but she was giving an experience in an airport where she went into the ladies' room between flights, put soap on her hands, put her hands under those electronic um, automatic sensors, the faucets, and couldn't get any water. Thought, oh, well, this one's broken. Yeah. Waited till the lady next to her was finished, popped over her hands under that one, nothing. Uh -huh. And then a woman came up to the one she had just left and very successfully used it. She raced back over to it again to get the last few drops to get some of the soap off her hands. She couldn't get a faucet in that restroom to work on seeing her hands so that she could get the soap off of them. Uh, oh, my. Um, and then there's a, a another one where a gentleman says that his whole ha family was practicing their golf swings. And um, let's see. Oh, he was just a young man. He wasn't practicing, but he thought he'd be cute and just walk in front of the camera and be on the film. And when the tape was viewed later, he was there all right, and then he blinked off the film, but yes. everybody else was there practicing the swing. It actually caught... And then he, yeah, he blinked off, was gone maybe five seconds, and then blinked back on the film again and continued. Oh, now that's incredible. That's the kind of evidence that I was talking right, about. Right, right. And I'm, I'm, I'm in. The, these are some of these are relatively new, and I'm in the process of contacting them. So, gee, is there? I wonder if there's any way, uh, you know, to go to a photo lab and have them uh, dissect this frame by frame. Oh, I wonder. And look for 
I look for I don't know what, uh, but no, authenticate, I guess, the fact that he actually disappeared as opposed to a an anomaly of film, of that, film. that I right. couldn't, couldn't even begin to think right. about explaining. Right. Well, maybe there's some way of using, um, and I don't know, I'm just throwing this out, but using Krillian photography that can pick up auras. Maybe there's some way of using some method to do with that. I wonder if in that state... Uh, Curlian would still continue to register an aura. Yes, see, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. You know. Um, Maybe not. It, That's it, right. I think there's also um, very likely a dimensional element element here because I've got a number of these that talk about time problems. What kind of time problem? Um, this is from a woman in Los Angeles. She says, um, "I was in the emergency room at Cedar Sinai in L.A." When a nurse instructed me to sit on the gurney and wait to be admitted, I noticed dark figures darting about, and the general activity in the ER um, was slow. I also noticed the PC monitors mounted throughout the CR flicker as though the images were slowing down. I never moved from the gurney. The nurse came back and asked me where I had been and said that I was told to stay put. I know I never moved from where she had left me, and I didn't know what she was going on about. She finally said that I must have gone to the restroom. I did not. I was sitting there the entire time. I thought the experience was remarkable, but never spoke to anyone about it before now. So, And I have others like that that talk about time. Um, in my article that you read, you read about Peter in England who went up to a restroom uh, at a party, used the restroom, came out, went back downstairs, and the woman waiting outside the door never saw him. That's right. Okay, he actually, I've got his original correspondence, and then I've talked with him since then. And while he was in the bathroom, he says, while I stood, well, I'll read it as it says here, while I stood at the toilet, I looked up and caught sight of my face looking back at me from the mirror of the bathroom cabinet. I was shocked by my appearance and appeared to have aged 20 years. My eyes in particular seemed odd and sunken. And then he proceeds to say how he walked out and the woman couldn't see him. He went downstairs, tried to get a cigarette from his friends. They couldn't see him. He went back upstairs again trying to catch somebody else to find a cigarette. And only then did the woman, who was still waiting outside the bathroom, not knowing he ever came out, saw him come up behind her and was absolutely shocked because she thought he was still in the restroom. Well, now, I don't know what happened there because people have said, why didn't she see the door open and shut? Now, maybe he went, I, I don't know, you're saying that woman walked into a wall, maybe he went through it. Well, there's a hint there with respect to the way he looked to, yeah. to himself. See, the time was different somehow. And, and this comes up and up. Um, they're just, people can't put their finger on it, but they say there was just something... These are some kind of openings. Mm-hmm. There's some, vortexes of some, some kind sort. of rip or opening, you know, you can get very science fiction-y about it, but it's something like this, some kind of rip or opening or uh, tear or flux, magnetic, uh, electronic flux of some right. sort, some dimensional portal perhaps. I mean, right. these you stab around in the dark, but it, it's going on. The question is, what the hell is it? Yeah, but right. don't you think we're seeing a lot of different things? I don't know that all of these has one basic source. It seems like, um, you know, the uh, knowing how to form the cloud and raise your, your vibration is maybe an innate ability, as you say. And then the spon spontaneity of, of it happening to you, maybe that is too, but maybe that's something else. 
And then when it happens to you spontaneous and there's a time problem, maybe we're talking a dimensional shift. I mean, there's, oh, it's just so much. It's very interesting. Maybe there's, yeah, there's all sorts of things that are going on. Uh, you want to sort of be able to, the human mind tries to put it all together and maybe it can't be put together. We'll find out. That's why it should be investigated. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Donna Good Higby. Hi. Hi, how are you all doing? Okay, sir, not a lot of time. What's up? Um, I wanted to see if she had ever recorded a case possibly where uh, someone in the state of invisibility manipulated a physical object in front of witnesses and then perhaps the witnesses later on uh, recorded like poltergeistic you know, effects. Poltergeist like activity. Oh, yeah. there's a really a good one. Good one. Yes, a good one. Uh, Donna? Um, yes, I'm happy to address that. I'm not, I don't have the answers. I'm still pursuing this as, as we all are. But it seems that anything in direct contact with the person, if they're holding it, um, you know, they have a coat draped over their arm, whatever, that seems to be included in their frequency shift and the person doesn't see that either. So you wouldn't just see a coat going through the air without a person holding it. or a Well, all right, all right, then. If a person in that state were to pick up a physical object or come in contact with a physical object while in that state, what would occur to that object? Would it suddenly wink out as well? I would assume that it would, but I haven't had anybody, anybody report to me that they have witnessed that. Because if they do think they see that, I think people blink and think they saw things. Well, there are certainly people that have reported poltergeist-like right. activity, things moving through the air, that sort of thing. That's true. That's true. But um, most of the, well, I mean, in every case that I've had, I've never had anybody say they saw an item in the air unsuspended by itself. I mean suspended by itself. Oh, I've had those reports, Donna. Have you? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Sure. I haven't had that in, in this so far. Okay. Uh, well, you'll get them. Uh, I bet I will. Now, listen, uh, it's my understanding you're in process or contemplating writing a book? Yes, I have. <clears throat> excuse me. I have so many notes, and I have so many good uh, pieces of data and theories that I, I'm in the process of putting it together. I just need to find a publisher out there. But What's, I'm, the, what's the working title? Uh, I think it'll just be S. Uh, I mean um, H S I I um, experiences and theory. Uh well, you need a really catchy. I mean, that's that's all I am at the moment. I have a ways to go yet, by you know, by all regards. But uh, yeah, I'll I'll get some kind of a good title to it. That's just my little title right now that I'm storing my notes in. Something like gone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know yeah. something. Uh, how how have you actually begun work on the book? Yeah, I, well, I mean, in that I have pages of data and stacks of notes, but to put it all in an absolute consecutive order, not completely. I haven't completely gotten in that route yet. I've got boy, do you have a letters. process? To I've go got through. a long yeah, I've got a lot to go, and I'm hoping some of the data that I'll get through uh, people contacting me after being with you might help fulfill some of this. I can contact them and talk with them. And yep, uh, yep, who yep, knows? Yep. And yeah. toward that end, folks, one more time, listen very carefully. I'm going to give you Donna's email address. Please write it down. Please don't email me for it. Listen carefully. Get it now. Here it is. Good Higby. That's G-O-O-D H-I-G B as in boy E-E. Good. Uh, all run together. Good Higby 
at AOL.com. It's easy. Uh, are you getting it? That's G-O-O-D-H-I-G-B-E-E at AOL.com. Obviously, experiences that you're going to relate to her are going to help. She's an investigator um, and obviously a very good one. Donna, it has been such a pleasure having you on the program. This has been really fun. I've enjoyed it so much. Well, listen, you can depend on the, uh, We didn't even touch on a lot of your research. No, I so, have a lot of things here that we just didn't have time. But we'll, we'll make time. We'll have you on again, okay? Oh, thank you, yes. Good night, Donna. Good night. Spontaneous human invisibility. Sometimes not voluntary at all. From the high desert, good night.